0: Hey Rob, how are you doing?
1: Good day, Eddie. I'm doing all right. Yeah. How are you doing?
0: Uh, oh, I am making it. Uh, of course, everything at the last minute just went to shambles, but hey, we're here. That's all that matters. So. That's uh, all that matters. Tell uh, the audience a little bit about yourself. Well,
1: I'm Australian. I'm I live in Perth, Australia. I uh, I'm 34 years old. Um, currently doing a masters in nanotech and engineering, um sort of like a minor in in, in the astronomy context. And became a Christian in twenty fifteen. My journey started in twenty ten. And that's a whole like testimony in itself how that that even transpired. And uh started Sentinel on YouTube through with, with a friend of mine. Um I think you may be mutual friends with him. His name is Hunter Bailey. Uh, um,
0: yeah, I, I, I know who he is. I'm um, not, like, friends with him. But...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like, him and I, like, 2017 onwards, we we wow. came across in Ezekiel 33 when it mentions the Watchmen. uh So our translation that we prefer to use now that's, that was released from 2016 onwards is known as the ISV Bible, the International Standard Version. Um, it, the scholars that worked on the ESV and IV, all the like that committee worked on that, and then they, uh, it it was just one of those happenstance moments we we saw their rendition, which gives it a, like a modern, like a Blade Runner Matrix sort of vibe to it, like a like a cyberpunkish vibe to it. Uh, they they rendered it as Sentinel, so uh-huh. we're just like, all right, let's let's. Do you want to do something like a Sentinel Apologetics?
0: <laughs> you know, I was so, going to uh, ask. It's yeah. pretty. It's a pretty cool name, and uh, I, I was kind of wondering. So, uh, yeah, that's mm. that's pretty neat. That's that. that's the story behind it. Yeah, nice. So you've <clears throat> you've had um, you've been doing on YouTube for about five years now. Yeah, okay. that's that's the thing. It's it's kind of crazy that
1: it's it's grown the way it's grown. I mean, initially it started with just. A bad microphone and sort of like that—the <laughs> typical, uh, you know, that that nerdy, you know, like the total, like the the so the, the, the total niche, yeah. interesting stuff that like that you're into. And and I just thought, like the the first videos on my channel are the Matrix, uh, cyberpunk parable, I called it. Um, it's that it's it's a total niche thing. Yeah. But then, yeah, from there it went into like just sharing my. Like doing Q and As and and then over time it just sort of built up and
0: praise I you know all all glory goes to God so man yeah you you got a nice little following over there um, <laughs> I've been following the channel for a while and um, you know kind of you and I running you know kind of same group so we got like fifty channels mm-hmm. that we sub to so uh, yeah but um yeah you got you guys have a uh, great content over there man I love it and um, you know the watchers that that's uh that is one that um you're diving already deep into the deep uh, end well yeah it, the thing is uh well you know we got challenged by ethan so we can't we can't mention a certain nah, name. Ethan, <laughs> here to troll you, man yeah the spartan yeah. uh theology that's right yeah. yeah that whole thing to me was because i remember um when they came out with the noah movie with uh Russell Crowe and hmm. Hmm. I wasn't um really deep into uh, uh was not really into a whole lot of theology I started out in philosophy and spent most of my time there
1: hmm. and this
0: whole watcher idea you know I'm just I heard all the you know fundamentalists like oh it's just a terrible interpretation of this and that and it's just the hmm. director's hmm. interpretation and all of that and and then when I you know kind of get deep into it and you know, learning about, you know, the Book of Enoch and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all these, the, the kind of backstory, like Michael Heiser gifts to the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Genesis and all of that. I, I was really kind of taken back. I was like, because you a lot of fundamentalists today, kind of, they take certain parts of the the supernatural out of it, like these, you know, kind of Near East um uh, stories and, and you know, some people would call mythologies and things that, mm-hmm. and, and they just stick to the heaven and hell stuff when there's so much deeper, you know, to oh, yeah. about it
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah,
0: so unfortunately, you... go ahead. I'm sorry,
1: I, I was, yeah. I was just going to quickly say, unfortunately, <laughs> um, and this is evident just even just a moment ago, um, I, ve- I very briefly went on. Uh, digital gnosis um and a more so atheist channel um and you know there's other atheists out there like pine Creek and all those they 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 try and like propose what's known as a socratic method like a street epistemology sort of or what they call a street epistemology method and and that's that's exactly right let's like if i were to to approach the discussion or elevate the discussion up to hey guys, at the end of the day, it's not just this heaven-held dichotomy. There's Okay, those are the bookends, right? (laughs) You know, like the start of the Bible and the end of the Bible, but there's a lot that goes on in between. And if you then import natural history, which you're talking like 13.8 billion years of universal history, and on top of that, 200,000 years of human history, and then on top of that, like, as you chronologically go through the Bible story. Like, so the whole Watcher thing in Genesis 6 does actually anthropologically there's very interesting anthropological data um, with respect to the Persian Gulf and um, yeah if if I elevate the discussion by introducing these things immediately they just what they accuse the fundamentalists doing like they accuse fundamentalist Christians of parking their brain at the door so to speak and not adhering to say science or something they do exactly that (laughs) It's like, okay, Rob, that's that's too boring. That's just too much. That's it's just going into the weeds a bit. Not interested. At the end of the day, is God a tyrant? Because does he? he you know, he drowns babies. Like it's you know yeah. the 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 quality of the engagement shows the hypocrisy on their part. Like like they then devolve down to the exact thing that they're accusing Christians of doing. So. But-
0: that is such a, that is such a great yeah. point. Um, and and <clears throat> the reason it is, is, and I, you know, I go, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Clubhouse. Um, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of, Okay. So, you know, I, mm-hmm. I say on there, I was just having this conversation the other day, you know, that, and people's heard me say this before, you know, I'm, I'm more of a anti-fundamentalist, whether that be a Christian or an atheist, it's, it's the fundamentalist mindset And what I mean is when I have these discussions about Scripture and we try to approach it as, you know, um, as literature, you know, the literary devices that are used, the cultural context, historical context, all these different things. Mm -hmm. I end Mm -hmm. up having the same arguments with a lot of atheists that I have with literalists, the fundamentalists. And I'll stop Mm -hmm. in the conversation and say, wait a minute, I want you to listen what's going on? I am having the same argument that I have mm-hmm. with literalist or fundamentalist, uh, and it's just because that mindset, you know, it, it's such a as a former fundamentalist and and, and
1: you actually you you literally feel like I, I, I mean, this is my feeling, but I don't know if you feel the same or anyone else. But you you literally feel like you, you feel, you're hitting a brick wall suddenly. Like if ever there was, you know, this this notion of oh, I'm banging my head against a, a brick wall. Mm-hmm. Like you do you you are paused in your tracks. Um so like, you know, when I'm engaging with an atheist most like that happens to be most with an atheist than a than a fundamentalist, but it's like you have you have all this flowing in your mind, right? And you, you're comp- compartmentalizing it to to then make it digestible, right? As as you give your response and so on. And then <laughs> they, they either will throw in a total like left, total like tangential question, or, or some sort of observation that just makes you even wonder whether you should even continue with the discussion. Um, or it's like, have you been tracking on what I've been saying? Oh, but by the way, you haven't, because clearly you've admitted that that it's it's too you know too dry, too boring. And but yeah, I see I see what you're saying. It's 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 yeah. But anyway, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, uh, so I take it it's kind of early for you there, where you're at.
1: Uh, it's 10 to 10, so it's it's a good, uh, it's 10... In the
0: morning, right? It's basically a good Sunday morning, so... Uh, okay, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. well, darn it, I was hoping to get you at a time that you could come on with your scotch and... Uh share a drink with oh, that's a that's a night. <laughs> yes. That that'll be your morning. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was watching the uh, debate that you had um, on um, this, is, this is a coffee now. Yeah. Yeah standing for standing for truth with Danny is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. yeah no it was a fantastic uh, debate. I, I don't know I just I can't there are certain things I just I, I don't have the patience for. Young Earth creationists um and uh i don't l- let me take that back most young earth creation apologists not all mm-hmm. um there are some charitable ones there and uh the literalism thing i just you know it's coming from the literalist background um it was just so aggravating on one side to not convince people that you have to read it literally to Mm. just totally deconstruct and falling apart and coming back and not having patience for those people when they're you know i I was there myself so kudos to you for taking on a lot of these topics i just don't have the patience for Mm -hmm. yeah
1: um i mean it's not something well the whole especially the king james debate that's something i I just I just happen to know. Um, I haven't corresponded recently with Standing for Truth, but I just happen to know of him um, for maybe about a year before the debate took place, or uh, well, since. Well, yeah, from the debate back, I knew him for about a year, and uh, I try to build bridges uh, in that regard. Yes, um, I, it, so for example, I've debated Ken Hovind. I've debated a few other youngest creationists and you know you do have your but <laughs> you just think to yourself like my gosh like god you know god give me the give me the the strength to to you know imitate you as you'd like me to you know that sort of like be gentle and respectful and but in other words there are some youngest creationists that have joined the discord server the Sentinel discord And they're few and far, but, but, but so those who have joined happen to be the respectful ones and they are like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Because that, because at least with them, it's like they don't make it a salvation issue. I've had young Christians tell me I'm living in sin for being a theistic evolutionist. Most, I've heard that Um,
0: denying God's word, you know, that's almost the the go-to that's, and that's why I wanted I didn't want to kind of throw all young earth creationists out there Mm -hmm. because, but it almost, that's the reason I avoid like conversations and debates like that. Cause you can tell offhand, you know, what kind of person, you know, interlocutor that you have, whether they're, you know, going to be charitable or not. And it almost always follows a pattern. You know, they give Mm -hmm. these alternative, alternative explanations to, you know, science. Um, They will attack induction, Uh, they will then, you know, question the science. And then ultimately when there's not any headway being made, well, then they kind of attack you and just say, well, you're just denying God's word. You can't trust God's word, you know? Mm -hmm. And I ask them all the time. I'm like, please explain to me where in scripture it says to trace the genealogies and word for word to get to the age of the earth. Where does it (laughs) say, you know, things like that. It's like, They really violate, a lot of them violate their own uh, principle, but I have had charitable ones. And my usually, so I was one of the non-charitable young earth creationists, flipped over to non-charitable, some kind of theistic evolutionist. But after Mm -hmm. studying more and more into Judaism, uh, rabbinic Judaism, the traditions and things and how many, I mean, how much history there actually is there for Mm -hmm you know, young earth creationism. Um, I, I just tend to, now I'm like, you know, I don't take a hard stance. I think mine is uh, the most supported uh, given, you know, science and scripture and all Mm -hmm. of that, but they could be right. And that's just, that's kind of the way I look at it now. So Mm -hmm. Mm.
1: no, and, and that, again, that's, but you see, that's coming from, you know, that that attitude that you're sharing. I hate to say this; it sounds like like some form of like elitism, but it's not. It's it's just a genuine psychological evaluation. Yeah, like your attitude and that, and hence also my attitude that I, I I like that attitude of yours. It comes from a from a genuine place of hey, I've actually taken time to just read a little, which then leads to this thing known as humbling. It then leads to this thing as humility, so that then you 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 demonstrate a form of charity by being guess what open minded like here's a hypothesis i'm raising there's there's an open mindedness i'm it's I don't have horse blinders, and um you know what you know may not be so you know that's what that's Hyde's famous statement yeah. Uh, another Heiser quote would be, uh, "The world is stranger than you think, but thinking should not be strange."
0: Um, I like that.
1: So, if a young creationist, or pretty much anyone in any denominational flavor, even a King James onlyist, if they are able to actually sit with you as a as a friend, and just be like, "Hey, look, epistemologically, this is this is so far my walk." like you know so many laps around the sun has has led me now to where i you know cognitively this is what i know of reality and this is my so far my conclusions and so on if they if they just at least approach it like that and they're not and and it's not like a hill to die on so to speak um yeah that that goes a long way um rather than <sighs> You know, <laughs> like a like a fist pumping Hitler. You know, like nine, <laughs> it has to be this. Uh, you know, like a like basically like a Ken Hoven. Yeah, and then and then, what's the implications there? You, it's nothing but a cult. It just becomes a cult like, you know, uh, echo chamber. So
0: yeah, and you know, on the the humble thing. I mean, I just wanted to say I am the humblest guy here. So. Uh that's no, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm with yeah. you. That's it well, it's yeah. one of those things where I've been humbled because I've been wrong so many times in the past. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's like, okay, let's stop saying things as if there's like complete certainty there. Let's always leave the door open that I could be wrong, because I've been mm-hmm. wrong. Um mm-hmm. a phrase uh someone had said to me once. Was and it's kind of it's really stuck to me as, um, no pun intended when I say it. Uh, careful where you plant your stakes because you're gonna have to take them up again. And mm-hmm. that's exactly you know over the years with young Earth creationism and, and literalism, I was so confident in just you know planting those stakes and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, got challenged quite a bit and uh, really it really led to an intu- a deconstruction. My whole worldview mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. crumbled. Um, mm-hmm. and I kind of had to rebuild it and then I was so confident and, you know, and there's a lot types. of trust
1: issues there that builds up. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm.
0: absolutely. And it, it took a long time to kind of reconstruct, you know, the worldview. So yeah, I try, you know, even if I think they're only, there's like this much of a chance, I still kind of, you know, try to <laughs> leave that little gap mm-hmm. open. Um, so if you don't no, mind, you no go honestly ahead,
1: go ahead. just I'm just going to quickly say praise god like that yeah that you've still you know that you're fighting the good fight so to speak I mean let, let me just like a little bit of like encouragement here um there is the guy who wrote most of the new testament paul if ever there was like a earth shattering world shattering you know, worldview-shattering moment. Like his entire worldview just literally just crumbled to pieces. It's Paul, because I mean, I'll just be very brief. But this is one of the one of the pieces of the puzzle as to why I became a Christian. And I my my journey into Christianity was data point driven, and this is one of them. Finding Paul's argumentation quite interesting, uh, because he's not approaching at this emotionally like. Like oh I've been drinking so many drinks and oh I was, you know this this, you know he does say things like wretched sinner, but a lot of Christian testimony is all about like this emotions and oh I I need to just clean my life up you know c- clean my room like a sort of Peterson moment, and and then oh look, Jesus happens to help me in that. Again, I'm not discounting that that can actually be the case in the, in a lot of people's lives. Mm-hmm. It's just that Paul's. Conversion into Christianity was a lot more drier and like, let's just say like eerie, eerie, but in an intellectual sense, like, uh, like basically like Neo in the Matrix, where he's, you know, remember in the construct where he's like, "Let me out! I want out!" because this is too much to handle. You know, his whole worldview is shattering. So Paul. It's confronted by Christian, Jewish Christians uh, with the declaration that uh, Yahweh became a man and was hung on a tree. And Paul being a Jew, he's like, look, you blasphemer, this is why he persecuted the church, you blasphemer. In Deuteronomy it says a man is cursed by Yahweh to such an extent that he then gets hung on a tree. So you're saying Yahweh becomes a man and then <laughs> takes on the curse that ultimately is a, like a form of like a divine punishment, and judgment and curse. and somehow that saves me or saves people. Like, what the hell is this? And in Galatians three, well, in Galatians one when he mentions you had to go away for three years and literally pick up the pieces. You have to think about what the heck just happened to me with the Damascus Road stuff, and then in Galatians three, he like as he's building up his case, he then comes back to that Deuteronomy verse about, you know, a man is cursed by God when he hangs on a tree, and he rewords it to say, the Messiah, who was hung on a tree, became a curse, and then he adds two words because this clarifies that he finally got it. The Messiah became a curse, and here are the two words, for us. Mm. And then in, in that whole, you know in, a, you know, in Christian theology, you know, the hypostasis with the logos mm-hmm. and the flesh, and all that philosophically then tries to then explain what Paul ultimately is getting at. But, but yeah, that's Paul's realization is that, and again in Philippians 3, hey, I can boast, and he does it very sarcastically, I, I can boast my credentials, you know, circumcised on the eighth day, try to, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, and then verse 9, but I consider all of this done. Yeah, <laughs> Literally in the Greek, that. I consider it BS. Yeah. Because it's a righteousness from God through the faithfulness of Jesus that's then imputed to me so that I can stand justified before God. And my response to that is nothing but pistis, trust, which is faith. Like, that's the gospel. Like, not at works, less us should boast. And, um, yeah, so... If your worldview was shattered, so was mine. Everyone's, to a certain extent, Paul is a classic example of this. And, um, yeah... Um, it's, it's, it's you know, that old saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger sort of thing, right? so
0: Yeah, absolutely. yeah um, I have you on a monitor over here, too. So if you see me looking over that's here, okay. that's because yeah. I'm not looking at you. <laughs> um, this yeah. monitor's bigger. My eyes are getting worse. So, uh, yeah, it's, well, oh, man, you said pissed us. Oh, gosh. I got, okay, we're going to sweep <laughs> that one to the side. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, well, so, you know, this is, I'll just touch on it briefly because I want to, Talk about the Paul thing. Go, for, too. It, man. Go um, for it. You know, today so many evangelical Christians have this um, uh, fideist idea of um, faith, um, where it's 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 so fideist that it it's not a confidence or, or assurance or belief aside from reasoning. It's uh, in in um, contrast to reasoning. In opposition to reasoning, you can't reason your way to have this trust, you know, which is what Pistis meant. But, um, and, and there are a lot of um, great minds throughout, you know, history on, on the fideist mm-hmm. side. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's the kind of Fideism that we see today, you know, where it's, oh, you just got to have faith, blind faith, you know, you just got to believe. And Mm -hmm. that is one of the things that now that is one of the kind of literalist um, into charismatic kind of um, teaching or beliefs I will get involved with (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I think it's it's dangerous um, when you abandon all reasoning and just go with blind faith. It's okay to say, well, it makes sense uh, given this, this and this. I can't make this connection here, so I'm just I'm going to believe that it's true because it seems to be something that's you know supported at least along the line of reasoning or something like that. Not just mm-hmm. a you just can't know. You just got to have faith, and it's like no. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Thoughts on that? Um, do you? Oh, I I uh, let, let's just go to the very last uh,
1: that. You know, that really beautifully in my opinion, um, drives exactly at that point. And the reason why I'm bringing this verse up is to be a little bit tongue in cheek because you see this online. Uh where they and I'll bring I'll I'll mention what this verse is, but but a lot of atheists utilize this verse like say the atheists like Aaron Ra and all these to, to suggest that um Hebrews. Oh, you, you, you Christians! You know when <laughs> it's it's all it's you know when you say faith, it's it's like a sort of like a blind faith, you know. It's it's not this where there's rationality and confidence in in that, right? So he- Hebrews eleven, right? So in Hebrews eleven, verse one, if if you only knew a little Greek, you'll then see the wonders of what's actually going on in this verse. So Hebrews eleven, one says, "Now faith," there's pistis there. Faith is the assurance that what we hope for will come about and the certainty that what we cannot see exists. Now, what is the Greek word for assurance and certainty?
0: That do you is... have a, Oh, do you
1: have a interlinear with you? Oh, um, yeah. Oh no, I I can. Oh yeah, yeah. I can no, mention that. I did, it doesn't matter. I was yeah, really yeah. Sorry about that. I wasn't yeah. Prepared. No, no, no. I, no that's I thought, I thought you're
0: leading in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: well, it's the Greek word hypostasis.
0: Oh, that's all right. Uh, yeah.
1: So hypostasis is the assurance and the certainty in Hebrews 11, but it doesn't stop there. If you go back to chapter one of Hebrews, uh, basically uh, um, chapter one verse three, it says that that Jesus is the apogasma. He's the, you know, the reflection. He's the, the the imprint, you know, of God's glory, right? The exact likeness of His being. He holds everything together by His powerful word, and then provided cleansing for sin. Blah 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 blah. Right? This holding together is hypostasis. Now, in chapter three, verse fourteen. Now, this is what this is where I'm going with this. So, in Hebrews chapter three, verse fourteen, again hypostasis is used. Uh, or the correct pronunciation is hypostasis, but I'll I go gonna on ask, the hypostasis. Yeah, I was going to ask about yeah. that. that. that's how yeah. I
0: remember it was. The
1: yeah, yeah. Um. So, because, and the verse says, because we are Christ's partners, only if we hold on to our original hypostasis, our original confidence to the end. So, in the context of Hebrews as a whole, don't forget, it's written to Jews that are now leaving the synagogues because they're leaving the old ways and, you know, because they're becoming Christian. The encouragement of Hebrews is, hey, you're under persecution, Uh, don't go back, because that's the call. Like, in Hebrews 10, it's all about, like, don't neglect the gathering of the Ecclesia, because the, the promise is that, look, if you come back to synagogues because you're losing membership, you'll be safe against the persecutions and blah, 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 blah. So, notice he had this solid theological and historical argumentation. It's just like amazing stuff in Hebrews. Chapter 1 is all about the ontology of Jesus with respect to the angels. Leading up, and chapter 2 is all about like the logic of the incarnation. Hebrews 2, verse 5 says, God didn't have the coming world that He's planned, He didn't have that plan for the angels, He planned it for us so because because when 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 jesus becomes like us in every way he's able to save abraham's descendants that's chapter 2 and he had and then chapter 3 brings up hypostasis with this is the confidence we should be holding on to so by the time you reach chapter 11 pistis is juxtaposed with hypostasis where it's like hey now when we're talking about what's yet future that's why it Hebrews eleven one says, "Now faith is the hypostasis that what we hope for will come about, and the certainty that we cannot see exists." Right. So, what's that hope? The whole you know say things like the resurrection. So then, so notice pistis then is is clarified with this this cosmic term hypostasis uh, that that involves deep philosophy rationality like, like like you're using your mind to even think about these things you're not just parking your brain at the door right it's not some blind faith and then Hebrews 11 goes into why people in Old Testament times maintain this pistis, uh, this you know this faith conviction because there's clarifications it's not like oh yeah. Abraham, like in in you know in Hebrews eleven, Abraham sacrificed his son because he had blind faith. <laughs> he clarifies it. He believed that Isaac would be resurrected. Like there's there's all these like like all these uh, rational, logically deductive argumentations and sort of like conclusions that these people were making to 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 even have that pistis uh uh as as a as a psychological drive um yeah so that that's that's kind of like my mini rant
0: no no that's great man who, yeah yeah that's yeah. because that's actually a bit more uh nuanced than the response i usually have but i like that because mm-hmm. I, I really haven't you know kind of thought about it or, or you know kind of put all that together so that's uh, in the way in, in mm-hmm. um eloquently stated um i would add to that because i think that's a fantastic response um what so i kind of take i guess i've heard it called an academic approach i take more of a academic approach i try not to presuppose um uh you know i, I put my press my presuppositions onto scripture i um mm-hmm. uh, often say i value truth over tradition um that doesn't mean that I don't trust the tradition and and you know the the Christians of the of tradition, but I'm looking for the truth in it, so I start mm-hmm. with um the genre of the book, you know more than likely who the author was um the audience that was uh, it, it was directed to how the audience would have received it um, mm-hmm. how these words not only fit within the Greek language and culture, but what kind of Hebrew uh, meaning and traditions do they have behind it? So Hmm. typically what I point out is that, first of all, Hebrews is a homolytic. It's a preaching style kind of book. And in the Hmm. same way, our preachers today are kind of loose with their words to draw a theological point. It was no, really no different then. I mean, it's not to say that it's all, you know, just, just hoopla, it's just, it's, they're not meaning for the audience to, to grab on to every single little nuance of the letter and words and, and things they're trying to paint uh, this theological picture. And mm-hmm. to that, then I go to the etymology of pistos, which is from the Greek god pistos, which is the mm-hmm. god of loyalty and trustworthiness. And it's also used in conjunction with God, so if it is mm-hmm. this word that means this blind leap of faith, how does that fit in conjunction with God? How does that fit? you know God pissed us God's trustworthy um and or just or I, just
1: a general like like uh milieu of Greek grammar in the greco Roman society they not once did they use pistis in that in that like leap of faith. Uh, I'm just going to blindfold myself yes, and exactly. do like, an, you know, Indiana Jones where he steps and takes a leap of faith in that bridge, yes. it's like no, that's not I get the sentiment behind that when all hope is lost right, because he has to, he's forced to in that, in that scene and wow. people have been in those moments but God, and God is faithful in those moments um, but that yeah. is not ultimately what Pistis is um
0: exactly yeah. and I think you you brought up a the last point I'll touch on with it is part that you brought up about the it goes into the you know uh the hall of fame of saints you know um the hall of saints mm-hmm. what they call it well, if you pay attention to the mentioning of the saints it it mentions the saints, and then what they did it's a verb an action they showed their loyalty and trustworthy. And even in the Hebrew, I forgot the word offhand that's used mostly for faith. Um, it's a verb. Of course, that's a verb, heavy mm-hmm. language, but you know, it's a verb. It's an action that they, they get, they do the mitzvah, you know, the, the follow the Torah, the good deeds. Mm-hmm. And so even in the very same book that they want to criticize, you know, this idea of uh, things hoped for, um, uh, but not seen. And it's like, wait a minute, it goes in and talks about the saints and what they did that showed that they had faith or trust, Mm -hmm. you know, in God. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's it. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So back to the Paul thing. Have you heard the, uh, what's called the new perspective? Sure. uh, Yeah. uh, Where they're, you know, kind of. That's uh, why,
1: well, that's why I was very deliberate in my Philippians 3 moment. I was very yeah. deliberate in saying the faithfulness of Jesus, not the faith in Jesus.
0: Like Right. Well, yeah. kind of reinterpret. So I've been, you know, going through um, a study on Romans with the new perspective, you know, viewing mm-hmm. uh, Paul as a Jew. And really, it's really astonishing. A lot of the things that we miss, whether somebody agrees with the new perspective or not, there are things there. It's undeniable. Um mm. And I think one of the greatest points that was brought out and it uh touches on what you were you were talking about paul was trained uh, after Gamaliel, you know the the pharisee uh uh the Pharisee of Pharisees school you know it's mm-hmm. and it was a school known for uh really only taking those that would be rabbis uh so for all intents and purposes i mean paul was a rabbi and if mm-hmm. we look at Some of the teaching, like, you know, in the the Talmud, um, the rabbis, I know you know the tradition, but the the others that aren't here, uh, in Judaism, at least rabbinic Judaism, the rabbis have always debated each other and continuously debated along the years. Mm -hmm. And there are sections, uh, so there's a sayings like, um, uh, 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 so what shall we say, or things like that. Where the mm-hmm. rabbi will start, and then he goes into kind of like a straw man argument. Um, mm-hmm. and then he goes on to destroy the straw man argument, and then as he does, you know, he he responds with uh, you know, God forbid, or or mm-hmm. heaven's forbid. And Paul does mm-hmm. this exact same structure in Romans, and the reason is because it seems as if he's kind of debating with himself, mm-hmm. yeah, because he was mm-hmm. trained in uh, how to teach salvation to Jews, but not Gentiles. So mm-hmm. Jesus left him, you know, with this task of being an apostle to the Gentiles. And he's trying without a school to learn how to teach salvation to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like as if he's um, debating with himself on how to fit this in there. And I think when we approach it that way, it starts to make far more sense. Paul's doing exactly mm-hmm. what the rabbis did. He's trying to figure this stuff out, you know, mm. as it was left to him to do. Um, mm. is, it, is that kind of uh, your take? No, from no, it or? no. I, I, yeah, no. The whole
1: new perspective thing, I think, is yeah. I mean that 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 is that is uh, sort of like a rabbinic, of well, most a most a second temple rabbinic because it's the the. the uh, the the judaism of this, of this what's known as the second temple period so anyone who doesn't know second temple is from basically the exilic period so from 600s 500s BC all the way up to 70 AD when the temple is destroyed uh, by the romans um so th- so the judaism post 70 AD is not paul's judaism and a lot of people unfortunately misunderstand this whether it's like you know when Jews today um uh you know when they they say things like "Oh Paul misquoted the Old Testament or Paul wasn't aligning with the with Judaism, it's like no you're being a little bit uh, uh you're you're being not you're not charitable in that context because because your Judaism, even the Hasidic Judaism of today is not the orthodox Judaism of paul's day um so but nonetheless, there is this back and forth sort of like argumentation debate style that does um, continue on in 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 Jewish writings, um, and it's and it's more so it's more so for rhetorical uh, means to bring about really the the, the most um, no stone no stone left unturned sort of argumentation. That's why Jesus, I mean, it, 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 it became so ridiculous. That's why <laughs> That's why you see hints of this when, when they start, like, testing Jesus about certain things like, you know, foods and marriage and, you know, divorce. Jesus' outright is like, look, it's all this, you know, this, all like, every form of permutation you've tried to find. So, yeah, you, you have, like, a general law that's laid out but then you try and find like every permutation possible around this any given law it's left to you like as if you watch the outsides of the cups but inside you you know you're like whitewashed tombs but really inside it's unclean and, um so so paul i find it interesting that paul is i mean He's he's doing it because, don't forget, like you said, he's he's honored that particular rabbi and that's his intent, his discourse. And then, you know, the simplicity of the gospel comes shining forward through where he says some astonishing things like, like in Ephesians 2, yeah, he's created one new humanity, you know, he's... He's he's created this thing known as a church where you need the male, female, Jew, Greek, and he's and through this he's rendered the law inoperative, along with all its commandments and regulations. Like all of it is now gone. And then again, coming back to that, now when you when you um when you translate, like in Philippians three, this is classic contention between new perspective people and old um. So, like, I'll just, for anyone out there that might not be familiar. So, if you go to, like, the English stand version, and if you go to Philippians 3, um, and you read verse... um, Verse nine, and be, and this is this is the ESV. So, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, that depends on faith. Now, notice you have, which comes through faith in Christ, and then again, the translation repeats that faith statement, and that depends on faith. Okay, the New Perspective reading says this be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but one that comes through the faithfulness of Christ and that's the righteousness that comes from God and that depends on faith so see th- like that that changes everything because a new perspective is saying hang on when you say th- having faith like like if you go back to the ESV when it says uh, that which comes through faith in Christ, so righteousness on my own, and not having a righteousness on my own that comes from the but that which comes through faith in Christ isn't it ever a wonder why you have then debates between Catholics and Protestants because having a faith, like having a righteousness from God and that's because I have faith in Christ, like yeah I hadn't, technically I have no problem with that, but I can see why a Catholic would debate that's a type of work the New Perspective, ironically, actually defends the Protestant or the Reformation cry, even more so. This is why I prefer the New Perspective, because it, because it's saying, look, you're having a righteousness that comes from God, right? But that comes through the faithfulness of Christ, right? Because guess what? I can't not only maintain 100% keeping of the law... But but as Hebrews argues, like to, for for Jesus himself to be that veil to 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 then enter the holy presence of God, right? So so it's Christ's faithfulness and his work, his finished work. That that all then I can do is trust in that work, in that finished work, so that then it's imputed. His, you know, God's righteousness is imputed. Onto me, like how and how Luther would argue, like you know, we are all dung, but with like a snow-covered, <laughs> you know, mound over dung, right? Like, the new perspective actually defends Luther's argument even more so um, than um, you know translations that have all English English translations
0: that have missed that nuance. So um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, Kind of another one of the things that along those lines that, that, you know, I I quite often, you know, say is uh, the church is so guilty today of um, uh, interpreting Jesus through Paul and not Paul through Jesus. Mm. And, you know, they 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 act as if Paul started a new religion you know and, and that's really not the case it's kind of like um Judaism 2.0 you know it's kind of like a, 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 a the original uh, uh teachings and, and intents and purposes of everything there has come to completeness And now this is kind of like, if you will, the next stage (laughs) It's kind of, you know, how Mm -hmm. I view it. I'm sure there's heresy in there somewhere, but, um, (laughs) that's, uh, you know, he never stopped. He never renounced being a Jew. I mean, that's not that Mm. we should be Jews, but I'm just saying that he sought to incorporate, you know, this fulfillment of the law, the completion of the law and Mm -hmm. this, um, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, it, it, here's Yahweh. You know, as a, as a man, you know, and he kind of yeah. had to come yeah. to terms with, my God, this this name that we don't even utter. Uh, you know, has has condescended to be a man. Jesus is that God, and I have to go teach the yeah people. the common
1: Christians too, Philippians too, yeah,
0: right. Yeah. And I have to go teach the people who have no idea. About what you know, the traditions and cultures and things leading up to that. When he was the staunchest of the traditions Mm -hmm. and uh, cultures leading up to that, Mm -hmm. I don't envy Paul. Um, A good book,
1: just just you know, uh, just a little bit of a heads up on this topic. Like I recommend you get Scott McKnight's very recent book called "Reading Romans Backwards." Oh, that sounds. (laughs) You might be going what? he proposes that, it is it is an interesting hypothesis, but this goes right in line with the New Perspective as well, that it's possible that chapter 12 of Romans is the start of the book. So chapter 12 Ooh. to 16, and then from 1 to 11. So um, Scott that's, that's Scott McKnight's, uh, he's, he's an evangelical scholar, he's He's well known in in like Craig Keener knows him and G K Beal. In fact, G K Beale and Scott McKnight are like practically best buddies. And um, but yeah, um, it, it's only because of the, again the onset of Second Temple scholarship and you know yeah. all that stuff. And and I don't know McKnight, like he was just meditating on Romans, and then he 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 just loves how. Chapter 12 opens in Romans, it's like, renew the mind. Yeah. And then it's like a lipo moment. What if this was the start of the book? What, how would it work out? And yeah, then, yeah, the way he
0: reorders it, like, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's the...
1: Uh... I mean, you do have the start, like, the actual start, like, right. you know, this is from Paul, like, you know. Right. But he he does a very interesting, like... Um. Yeah, you just have to read the book and you'll see his Greek grammatical argument. I I'm it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> like yeah. it doesn't really matter if if the way we've always read it versus his his sort of like reorganizing of it. But uh uh it it at the end of the day it's just one of, it's just an added argumentation in the new perspective scholarship basically, yeah. so yeah.
0: That's it. You you deny literalism. You deny God's word. You're not a real Christian. Yes. You're sinning. <laughs> That's going to come up somewhere. But, I mean, even uh, in the how, New Testament. <laughs>
1: how does that even make any sense when, I don't, I don't, uh, when, when someone like Scott McKnight, like say if that was told to <laughs> Scott McKnight, oh, you're denying the word. That's, Hang on. So Scott McKnight spends five years because he loves the word to then find like, of, of uh, a much more deeper, like, reading that he wants to share with the body of Christ. Like, hello, I'm pretty sure he's not denying the word. He's working with the word and wrestling with it to, yeah, yeah, like, yeah.
0: That's, yeah, that's, um. are you, uh, do you know who Hank Hanegraaff is? Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I, I actually have a lot of respect for him, yeah.
0: Oh, I lo- yeah, I love Hank. He's, well, he was actually the one that, in the, uh, years ago started my deconstruction because i mm-hmm. being a fundamentalist and a literalist listening to hank i was kind of like oh he's smart i like a lot of stuff he says but everywhere i disagreed with him i was like he's just wrong there you know mm-hmm. <laughs> And he's the yeah. one that actually kind of got things unraveling but i love his quote um that we have to learn how to mine scripture for all it's worth mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. along the traditions of Juda- judaism uh has always been a tradition of trying to understand God's word and God's revelation. Um, Mm. And and in doing that, uh, and the practice of doing that is this open debate. That's how we come to, you know, uh, the truth of a lot of different things is we have Mm. open debates Mm. about it. And that's what they did in Christians today. A lot of evangelicals, it's not for the debate. You you got to either have faith, um, or you have to follow, you know, this specific denomination's tradition of revelation of the Bible. Um, mm. you're not allowed. I was actually kind of um, uh, what do you call it um, uh, not not brainwashed, but uh, uh, indoctrinated. Uh, indoctrinated, indoctrinated. Okay. yeah, mm. because. Although they never came out and said it directly, there was always this direct implication that if you're questioning um, uh, the meaning of Scripture, the the way the pastor teaches it, then you're questioning God's word. And if you're questioning God's word, you're mm-hmm. questioning God. So you weren't. That's, now mm-hmm. they would always mm-hmm. say, go to the Bible and, and check me on it. But they already had you conditioned mm-hmm. to this dispensational, literalist kind of line of thinking. Mm-hmm. And they always taught, and here's 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 the catch. Here, I think, is the hook part that keeps people from getting out of it. Um, mm-hmm. Is they always teach that liberal Christians are worse than atheists because they're mm-hmm. playing fast and loose with God's word, and and you know mm-hmm. things like that. they're they're testing God and all these. So, and if you go outside their ultra conservative interpretation then you're on the, you know, you're, you're the lukewarm church, which that is totally mm-hmm. out of context, what they teach there. But uh, I digress. Uh, it's uh you know, they make you, they literally build this fear of being, you know, a, a liberal Christian and, and mm-hmm. it's, it keeps you kind of in this, like, I don't know if it's intentional. I wouldn't go that far, but it's definitely a practice. that has been going on since, you know, uh, literalism and, and uh, Puritans and, Hellfire mm. and brimstone kind of preaching came over.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, um, I just to say I wasn't immune to this either. Like when I when I came into the faith, my journey into the faith wasn't through some. Ch- I didn't attend a church. I mean, my family and all are Christian, but they. I suppose you could say they're they're faithful. They're definitely very reverential, faithful Christians. Um, but they're not like like say to our standard, like you and I are. Weird <laughs> compared <laughs> to the old generation that are like. Yeah, you know the whole like it's a simple thing. or keep it simple. Don't complicate it. Um, you know, which is typical of say your grandparents, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, so, but such as such as the era that they were in, because they didn't have things like logos and interlinear's, and so to them, it's just it's a simple faith. And I did actually fall in. Um, not fully, but I did sort of uh, fall into a possible, uh, like a closed-minded uh, indoctrination. Um, I was—I I suppose you could say it's like a leaky dispensationalist sort of eschatology. Not yeah. fully, but like leaky. Um, when I read works from, say, Arnold Fruchtenbahn, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that name, but I'm not. But he's a he was a
0: Hasidic Jew turned Christian oh. Messianic Jew. I, just and, kind of a side note, I a lot of the learning mm-hmm. I did about Judaism was from a Hasidic rabbi, so I do uh-huh. like the, the Hasidic Jews. But go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Frucht, now, now A lot of his works are on logos. Um, he's actually done. Uh, like teaching videos on logos, mobile ed, and all that stuff. Like he's a he's a he's actually a really good scholar. He's he actually like you and I would agree with him like ninety percent on a lot of things, except for one thing, and that is his entire dissertation, his PhD for New York University, was on what he called Israelology. Like in systematic theology, there is one like you have angelology and soteriology and blah blah blah. But there's one element missing, and that is Israelology, uh, the study of Israel. And as you may guess as to where this is going, this is the whole, like, uh, you know, the dispensations that lead to uh, the specialness of Israel. Uh, like, for example, Israel in Galatians 6 is still distinctly, like, ethnic Israel and... Um, and yeah, uh, now I did find it very curious that there were Christians pre World War Two that had this hope, even like a century or two prior, like they had this hope of like the return of the Jews to the Holy Land. And so, in other words, there's, there's this, there's this, like reverence and sanctity uh, where they attach like sanctity and reverence and holiness. And like sacred space, like that sort of stuff, right? They they, they attach that to a certain model. And in this case, dispensationalism is a type of, like a theological model. So if you were to oppose that, it's like, ooh, you're opposing God now. So like, if I was to critique dispensationalism, it's like, now you're anti-Semitic. Now you're against Israel as, like, you know, the return of the Jews. But here's the thing, it's like, I, I had, a, a, you know, a fascination, and I can't, even right now, I can't help it but but have to wonder. Yeah, like, everything that did happen with respect to 1948 is just remarkable. Like, I'm thankful that, I mean, there, there was a Zionistic political thing going on, but there were there was this Christian hope. Where they, 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 they took those type of prophecies as being something like actually will happen in space-time, so to speak. They weren't like like an R-mill. Because an R-mill doesn't really, you know, an R-mill doesn't take it in that physical literalism. So the fact that it happened is like one of those, hmm, maybe as a nation or some, as an entity or something, maybe there is something to this like in the long run. But then at the same time, I can't help but uh, notice the uh, the fanaticism that, that, that then um, those who are in that camp, they... Like, I mean, I'm in Australia, right? So I suppose I can say this to my American <laughs> friends, but, but America becomes this grand thing with respect to, like, America and Israel. Because of that, you know, that dispensational sort of flavor to it. Not realizing that Paul's very clear that, again, in Ephesians 2, he's created one new entity out of the two. There's no more racism, no more sexism, no more, like, nationalistic... It's, the like, what Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. So, yeah, like, I had to suddenly realize psychologically where I was going with that, and then I had to take a, take a step back and realize, no, 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 don't, don't marry yourself to a model. Because then... You start to like. It becomes like an idol. You start yeah. to like sanctify it, and again, yeah, like this is again. This is why you had that deconstruction feeling, you know, yeah. like, like for you the Young Earth and whatever you you were in. It's like this, you know, the sanctity of the model. Like, oh my gosh, everything makes sense in this.
0: Um, but yeah, so yeah, that's well. That's an excellent point because I will say um, I'm, you know, uh, if I had to take a hard position, it, I would be a partial preterist, uh, a millennial. Mm. Um, so am I.
1: I'm, I'm a partial preterist. Yeah. yeah, And it's,
0: I th- honestly, I think that's, and nothing against all my uh, other brothers and sisters, I think that's the most sensible position to take. Um, mm. It's uh, But, you know, coming from a pre mill tribute you know, great tribulationist and all that, you know, this fantastic eschatology, I will say um, I have been, you know, mesmerized at um, the um, ability of the Jewish identity to last for so long. Through so many diasporas, mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. so many, uh, you know, they seem to always be a target at different parts of history. And then here we go, um, and I'm not going to get into the political, you know, part mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Palestine and Israel. But here we go with a reassembling reassemb- uh, in the original land that they consider, you know, theirs mm-hmm. and that God gave to them. And I, I'm kind of, you know, the, I think, you know, for the dispensationalists, I will say there seems to be something there. <laughs> You know, that mm-hmm. uh, that is preserving at least this this identity of a people. You know, I don't know about mm-hmm. the DNA and but on the part you were talking about, uh, you know, because I have been accused of anti-Semitism because I'm not a Zionist. And mm-hmm. but here's the thing. Almost always the people that say that hold to a dispensational eschatology and the Jewish people are just a means to an end. We got to mm. herd them into the Holy Land so that two-thirds mm. of them can be slaughtered, and the land can mm. be filled up with blood, mm. and all of these things they believe. It's like, wait a minute, who's the anti-Semitic <laughs> person I, I didn't here? think of it. To,
1: yeah, I didn't. Yeah, no, that that's brilliant. I didn't think of it that way, and that's actually, that's that's so true. That's that's, that's a brilliant uh it's yeah, not wow. mine I really,
0: I wish it was mine but oh okay okay that that
1: yeah okay no no yeah. that that's that's actually brilliant like yeah the whole like i think it's in revelation 11 right like the horse's bridle like the blood will go up to like the horse's bridle yeah. or somewhere around there and it's like dude uh <laughs> because yeah, <he's> revelation a... <laughs> is written in 68 AD and it's talking about Rome right in it, just before right. the 780 destruction of so like the you know when the Romans came and like according to Josephus killed like a million Jews like and then he gives these graphic descriptions of like how the blood would flow down and quench the fires you know of of the temple um yeah like that was predicted and fulfilled according to John uh this is why by the way for anyone who might not realize the the power the 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 the, the um the explanatory power in this in this model a partial preterist is that, like, if Revelation is written in 90 AD and it's all yet future, which is what the dispensationalists argue, you literally, now you have blind faith. <laughs> now you literally have to believe and hope that this thing turns out true. If it's partial preterism, meaning it's, say, 68 AD, which is a couple of years before the, the Jewish revolt, uh, and it turns out to be true... Then I have a reason to trust the book, especially with respect to the yet future stuff, which is like chapter nineteen onwards um yeah, so that that's yeah, so that's why but but you're right, it's like dude, <laughs> you want that holocaust two point oh like you know, um. Yeah. yeah,
0: It's like, just so our savior can come, you know, it's, it's eerily mm. similar to the radical Muslims, you know, who's trying to bring a, mm. uh, bring about the, I think it's the 13th Imam, you know, they're, they have to make these things happen, you know, and things like that. And it's like, they're just a means to an end, you know, it's like, well, you mm. know, tribulation, most of them going to be killed and all that, but God's got a plan, you know, for, for them. That's, and I never understood how, how could we could possibly, this is one thing I, a problem I've had with um, dispensational was real quick though. Let me pop this up. I want to. Mm-hmm. This is very important. Um, apologetics channels. Very, very good question, and I'm sure you are making a point. Absolutely, that is the biggest problem we have today. Are all of these secondary things that are not <laughs> salvational issues? And I'm going to quote Hank Hanegraaff again. I, th- I think it's the first mm. time he's come up this much in one show ever. Um, <laughs> but he has something. Heard great... his
1: name? You're the it... first after a while. I'm even hearing his name.
0: So that's well, good. he has so many great quotes. You know, and here's one is, um, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity, because mm-hmm. these are not uh, whether somebody's a. Uh, Uh, you know, young Earth creationist, six day literalist, evolution theistic evolutionist. uh, It doesn't. These none of these affect who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And I think that's the apostle creed. Yep.
1: Take put put a young Earth creationist. Okay, do this. Put a flat Earther Christian. Okay. I mean that. Then again, I have to wonder if a flat Earther. I mean, I'm I'm being a little bit maybe a bit. Okay, I'm going to try and be charitable here. Put a flat earther, <laughs> put a young creationist, put an older... Th- put the whole range, right? Even all the esc- even the, like, the dispensationalists, the pre-trib, post-trib, Amil. Put them all in one room. Have them recite the Apostolic Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian, all the creeds of the church. None of the creeds speak about any of the positions that they hold. And there's a unification because his creeds are just going straight to the, here's a deduction of what is the tenets of a faith. That's that. Um, And if you disagree with the creed, now you have a a genuine difference of opinion. Um, Yeah. So I like that quote by Hank. Yeah, it's... Essentials uh, to have unity.
0: Yeah yeah it's um so uh somebody real quick, somebody had said something about um oh machine philosophy, I have to check out Hangraf's books yeah, well, the thing with Hannah Graff so I'll just the reason I keep mentioning him is uh, like I said earlier, he was one that really challenged me to kind of unlock my mind and, and get out this fundamentalism he's since conv- he uh, he's, he has since um converted to um Eastern orthodoxy and which I'm very sympathetic to Um, and Mm -hmm. he was actually so he was on these uh, there was here in the United States I don't know if you guys have it there it's called Bot Radio Network and it's basically a evangelical um, uh, preaching station from morning till noon I mean morning till uh, midnight it's and he had a show on there called the Bible Answer Man and Mm -hmm. Um, he, once he came out many, many years, he had this show. Um, once he came out, uh, uh, as openly converted to Eastern Orthodoxy, they yanked his show off of this Mm. just because it's not, you know, Protestant, evangelical conservative. Mm. And Mm. so, but he is on YouTube. He does a show every day, Mm. uh, has lots of stuff on there. And, um, He's got uh, uh, quite a few books. One is um, when I really started trying to you know, understand this whole eschatology thing, um, it's uh, – man, I got it behind me. It's uh, The Apocalypse Code, I think it is. And basically – so his – just give it a little background, his expertise is in um, mnemonics, the study of memorization. So mm. he does everything in acronyms. So it's an easy way to understand things. Um, mm. And he also has another book. It's called Has God Spoken? He mm. uses the mm. acronym LIGHTS, and I won't go through all that. Mm. But it's, uh, he gives a very robust defense of you know the history of Christianity, why we believe, and all these different things. The only thing one of the major things I disagree with him on is he's not a young Earth creationist, but he is staunchly against evolution, and I don't know what the deal is there, <laughs> why he's you know mm, so yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely a point that you know I disagree with him on. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's fantastic, man. Uh, anybody check him out on man YouTube or, or mm-hmm. uh, anywhere else, but uh yeah, that's uh I just this whole you know splitting you know i just i don't get why people get so fervent over you know um my position's right and if you don't take mm-hmm. this it's it's the least humble position to take and at the end of the day
1: uh, frank i mean hank he's uh he at the end of the day i like like to quote uh, uh to quote an atheist, uh, Lawrence Krauss. Um, the, I, I actually. Here's the thing. I actually, you know, you have to give credit where credit is due. Like, like, like sometimes I, when I listen to atheist thinkers, I, I, because I was once an atheist, right? And I, I, I suppose that critical eye. Um, oh, you weren't really an atheist.
0: Is, you just say that. So. Yeah, I was just. I wasn't really an atheist.
1: <laughs> But yeah, like, like I actually like for example, I like Lawrence Krauss. I think he's a cool guy. I li- I like the way he talks. I like I like the way he he stands his ground and you know, that that sort of persona, you know, I like that about him. Yes, I disagree with him now as a Christian, but um he, he in a typical Kraussian fashion, he uh he was debating this Muslim and uh and then like near the end of the debate, he um no, obviously the Muslim was being like, like how these fundamentalists are with Hank, and and so Krauss goes, well, uh, you can just be stuck in your ways, and I'll make progress. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's this, it's this, yeah. But it's so true. He is an established scientist making progress, and 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 whether he no, realizes it or not, he is a tool that God is using to bring more glory to God because. He's a sci- I mean, at the end of the day, you can't really, you know, even though he's an atheist, he can't, um, you know, um, demonstrate atheism through his astronomy, right? Like, he's just doing what an astronomer does. He's just, you know, he goes back to the lab and does what he knows best, right? And, and yeah, he is making progress. And, and Hank is making progress. Um, you know, he's moving on. Um, mm-hmm. But these other, you know, those who try to silence them, or like, just yeah, like those who just didn't like it. Like, in other words, it shows how naive and ignorant they are of, say, the Orthodox. Like, there is a lot of beauty. I, I I know why people turn to Catholicism and and say Greek Orthodox and so on is because there is that. <laughs> You can you can taste it, or you can even cut it. Like like like, there's a tension of of or, or like a or a thickness of of that. You know, the moment you walk into a cathedral or like a Greek Orthodox community or like a Catholic community, it's it's you're walking into something that now suddenly spans generations, practically back to where it all started. Um, unfortunately you know that is the pull but unfortunately the theology is 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 so far removed because again tradition warps itself and you know as you know like like specific, specifically most in the catholic context that's why i can't be a catholic because even though emotionally i can you know i find the environment uh, attractive um intellectually i i i can't go there because Seventy or eighty percent of what Catholics believe, I can't go there. It's, it's not biblical. So, um, yeah, but but I, in fact, I would be more so inclined to be a Greek Orthodox and a Catholic because, ironically enough, there's the Greek Orthodox and the and the Protestant tradition are actually more in line <laughs> than they realize, and that's that's why Hank um, converted.
0: Um, yeah, if you know, I. So, honestly, I mean, I've listened to a lot of your stuff, but they're usually topic specific and things. I didn't realize we agreed on so much. Um, that's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because uh, yeah. I quite often and am accused of not being a real Christian, um, mm. and because I question a lot of things, you know. Um, mm. And I uh, mean, you,
1: you did start with watches, like that. That in itself, yeah, gives it away, right? That's like right, you yeah. so since you know about Greek Orthodox, you know things like theosis deification, yeah yeah, yeah theosis, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, well, yeah.
0: see well, actually, that's what I was going to say. I agree so much with Catholicism and orthodoxy in so many ways, but it's specific things, it's the iconology and um you know uh orthodoxy uh the um you know the the papacy and, and Catholicism. Um, you know, and it's uh, Protestantism to me, like you said, in the sacraments, that's a huge one that I have uh, an issue with, and i I, you know, openly say it can it can be some kind of built-in ba- uh, bias from when you know being you know a I was a Southern Baptist, so it's all symbols, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. it's all, but I can tell you one thing, mm-hmm. when I got baptized. My life changed unintentionally, like flipped upside down and turned around. It was, you know, mm-hmm. I had been a quote unquote saved, said the prayer, you know, and been a part of church when I was younger and all this. And, and I never really had the um, the on fire uh, in. And it was, like I said, totally, mm-hmm. you know, Michael like un- a Wesley oh, moment. Yeah. I didn't even expect it. It was my Mm -hmm. wife and I Mm -hmm. got baptized and I was early twenties and, um, I, man, my everything just, you know, within the coming weeks just started to change my perspective, my desires, everything. I'm like throwing out all of my gangster rap CDs, (laughs) you know, all of my heavy metal CDs, all of my, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, movies, I think I shouldn't be watching. Of course I went way too far with it, but you know, it was Mm -hmm. just this Mm -hmm. literal, like, so there may be something to this sacrament thing, um, but I just, they value, and I don't, like I said, I don't have a problem with tradition, but they value tradition so much. Uh, and mm-hmm. I'm not a sola scriptura guy in the traditional sense either. Um, you know, I, I think because, I mean, if you think about it, scripture can't be the authority alone when it has to be interpreted, interpreted by men. It's mm-hmm. never gonna be you know, so we all have our kind of you know biases and slants and bents and things like that that's unavoidable. Um but uh it, all of that I just I can't find one that I kind of just fit in the door there. Uh mm-hmm. so I just kind of listen to all of them and, and maybe one day they'll start a church, you know, that's um called uh sentinel brute facts, and we can <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: yeah uh my. yeah but but e- e- either either way I you know if that were to happen I would still uh like like you know like like Martin Luther he he when he commented on 1 Corinthians 1 you know when Paul's like some of you go after Apollos, some of you after Cephas some of you after me and was was I crucified for the world and and Martin Luther <laughs> literally goes why do you call yourselves lutherans was Luther crucified for the world like Ooh. It just goes to show, even when he was alive, there were, you know, there was a following. Yeah, and and yeah, um, unfortunately, you know, people just, I suppose, just didn't listen. Like, like, like Luther, Calvin, Wesley, like these are people that they're just doing that thing, but on, um, but you know, such as such is the case when you, if you do, if you start to have a following, it's like it's kind of like a burden. It's like you know, like this this realization that hey, you may become a celebrity, and yeah, it's it's just you know, yeah, and, then, it, and then it's it's a church after your name, and it's like,
0: man, <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, it's you so know? hard, man. I mean, i you know, being as famous and and such a big following as I have, it just, yeah, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh man. Um, uh,
1: yeah, that's. Uh... But I was I was gonna say something quickly about the yeah, sola scriptura, like yes, yes, like for me, I am. I suppose you could say I do have a, a a more like a like a respect and a reverence for that classic Protestant, you know, the five solas, like that sort of stuff. But the way I would defend a sola scriptura point of view is is show the irony of tradition that. Implicitly and also explicitly, but most implicitly, defends the sola scripture review. So, for example, the Patristics. Um, in other words, sola scriptura is like scripture alone, yeah, or like scripture is like sufficient or whatever, like you know the, the various definitions of that Latin. Um, now, the Protestants will say things like, "Oh, but that—that's it. Even you—you you have to bring in canon." <laughs> Like, 66 books, right? And obviously, then, that's another debate. It's like, what is Soul Scripture? Do you include the Deuterocanonical Deuter- Deuter- texts and all the other texts? So, for me, what I what I do is I um, I filter it down to the bare bones. Like, let's just pretend the Catholic canon is the full counsel of God, which is obviously more than 66 books. Um, now... I find it curious that the Gospel nowhere says that you re- you need either the Catholic Canon or the Protestant Canon for salvation. The Bible seems to be designed in such a way that uh, even if you have a page torn and that's all you have with you, God will still accommodate your knowledge with respect to what you know. It's kind of like it's you know, if you use a computer science analogy, it's like error correcting. If anyone here knows about how RAM works, um, you, you you can have a, like a big chunk of data and and like a block, and then but but still, if you have just a, a slice, it's still there's enough there to error correct. So like like the Bible is like already has this inbuilt, so to speak, in itself because guess what? It's not one book; it's books plural that are combined into this thing we call the Bible. So. If I don't use the Catholic canon, well, what's the next level down, which obviously you're reducing in the book count down? Well, it is the 66 books. That, how interesting, the patristics quoted verbatim. And if I wanted to, like say if we had no Bibles, I can actually stitch the Bible together from start to finish just with the patristics just with their quotations. Um, yes, they do quote from the Apocrypha like Tobit and Sirach and Psalms you know all those other texts but but if I was to, if I was to just stick with the bare necessity so to speak of, of the so-called Protestant canon, then um, you can still do that with just the patristics, which is you're, you're back at you know church tradition. So, um, so that that's that's the nuance. I'm like a, I'm like this faithful Protestant, I suppose, in in my attitude to the text. But at the same time, I'm so nuanced because of my sensitivity to things like Second Temple scholarship, um, a, a bigger appreciation of tradition that there is. It's not some. Like some of the radical Protestants will argue, like, "Oh, tradition is is you know wolves in sheep's clothing. Don't you can't trust the church fathers. Like you know they t- they taught a lot of weird stuff." No, the moment you dive in, you're seeing just beautiful ahead of the day, cutting edge theology. Um, and 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 a, and a and then you know when you go back in time and you see how these Christians used to think, it's like it's like a you know it's like a goldmine of just Wow, like okay, the big obviously the most famous one would be someone like Augustine, right? Yes, he said some weird stuff, but at the same time, there's some other things he said that just makes you go, "Dude, that guy!" Like, yeah, you know, the insights he had. Um, you know, Athanasius, yeah, just his beautiful defense of the Trinity with against the iron controversy. Um, so, yeah, but the church, church tradition, yeah. Like church tradition, you know, this is why Greek Orthodox, or even in this case, even the Catholics, this is why they kind of just laugh at at the uh, at the what's the word like the malnourishment of a lot of Christians that are not in that, uh, like they don't make it a habit to to digest. So they in other words they read their Bible, right? But they're so malnourished and and um what's the word like you know when, when you have like a lot of blood loss and uh anemic. Like, anemic, yeah, it's it's so ane like like there's so many anemic Christians. Yes, um, I'm right. you know? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so no, I'm a,
0: Well Yeah Um <laughs> I, I, I get you. And, and, and mm. actually, I really don't have a whole lot to disagree with it on. I'm, mm. you know, uh, solo script work just brings so much baggage. Um, and mm. what I mean is so many, uh, you know, like the, the Southern Baptist uh, church I grew up in, they, per, you know, they worship the Bible. You know, it seems mm. that they worship the Bible itself, God's word, more than God. And mm-hmm. and and I know that's not intentional, by him, and I know that's not their hearts, and you know they're harder. Or and you're not literally. attacking
1: the Bible either by saying that,
0: right? And and that's so when I hear you know like Sola Scriptura, uh, I just like I'm like wait a minute, but we have to interpret it. But I'm with you. I think mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. like inerrancy, okay? I I don't hold to inerrancy in the tra- well traditional, the the evangelical traditional sense that you know uh, it's almost like a dictation method. A lot of a lot of them don't even realize they hold to like a dictation method. You know, I, mm. they, you know, and they'll quote the Chicago Statement. And I'm like, well, I agree with the Chicago <laughs> Statement too. <laughs> you know, and it's basically <laughs> yeah. the truths and the propositions and, and what it says is true about, you know, uh, the, you know, specific things. It, it, that's where it's in It doesn't mean mm. every letter, every word, every sentence, or even every story, because, you know, mm. we have mm. this entire genre. And, you know, most of them don't even realize that the Old Testament's broke up in, uh, you know, uh, historical books, um, prophetic books. Um, you know, they have all of these different mm-hmm. categories that you can put them in. So many of them are not meant to be every sentence, every story, everything taken literal. And so that's kind of, you know, when I say I'm not a sola scriptura guy, that's that's kind of where I'm at with that. Is I don't, I like the idea of the Catholic Church's intention. And the way mm. that uh, a, a priest explained it that I heard that I thought was phenomenal was, you know, the um, so scripture would be like the Constitution. The Catholic Church would be or, or the exegetes or, or the councils would be mm. um, the judicial system. And they're trying to interpret current issues through the eyes of the tradition which is mm, scripture mm, so mm, and of course you and i both know there's a lot of dogmas that's creeped in that the crept in it's mm, not mm, not biblical at all traditions and things like mm, that but that i like that idea but then it goes back to who's the authority you know mm, and when there's a disagreement who wins out and that's why i like the jewish idea you know what well mm, you hold your position and i'll hold the mine and we'll continue to mm, debate it and if something else comes up then i'll go with that you know or something mm. that you know seems to be true so that was kind of more what i meant by the uh sola scriptura thing but mm-hmm. i'm with yeah. you on the yeah the mm-hmm. and and i think the catholics would openly accept uh a lot of things they believe aren't biblical so mm. <laughs> which is kind of an issue in itself um for me mm. so I mean, like, like, are you familiar with? Um,
1: I can use this as another example. Like, are you familiar with Naaman's dirt in Second Kings five? Like, he asked to take dirt with him. This is a Heiser moment, by the way. So, <laughs> our friend Ethan can. Get uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, Well, I got something to say about Heiser. Uh, I'm no, I'm not not off the top. I'm, I may have heard something, okay. about it, but it's not. It's so, not so right
1: Jesus there. actually brings this up in Luke four. So Luke four when he reads Isaiah sixty one and he's and then he says he scroll, he rolls up the scroll and he's like, you know the spirit of the Lord is upon me blah blah, blah. and then he's like today the scripture has been fulfilled. And Aaron's like what? Who's this guy? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Blah blah. blah. And then he goes and gives um two Old Testament, like he 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 goes and picks two Old Testament stories, but then he tweaks it to be like like a parable. So one was the widow, with a, I think it's like three and a half years or something of famine or something like that. But the other one, which is really interesting, is Naaman. Now, in Second Kings 5, um, Naaman is a pagan. Uh, like He's like the king's guard uh, of some pagan land. And he's got some skill ailment. And word goes around like his friends tell him hey there's a prophet down there that's able to heal and that's Elisha and so you know they're like hey why don't you just go and just you know speak to that guy and he'll heal you so Naaman goes Elisha encourages him to dip himself in the Jordan River and yes he gets healed and then Naaman utters kind of like a Nebuchadnezzar moment like he utters oh now I know there's no other god in all the earth except for Yahweh um, so then, so then Naaman asked for, like, the most peculiar, resp- like, request. Which actually, now notice, because of scholarship, now we know why psychologically is even requesting this to begin with. Because scholarship in the ancient Near East showcased that, uh, as a, a type of superstition and sacred space, you know, you know, cosmic geography, like, like, this area, which is Israel... Is representation of this particular deity that's healed me, with, with respect to you know where I come from, is is the territory of that god that I I used to worship. Think like again, like anyway, if anyone wants to know where I'm going with this, think like in the in Samuel with the Philistine story, like they take the Ark, but then the statue of Dagon is is torn to pieces. So the priests deliberately avoided where the Ark was was placed, because they thought this deity, which is the Israelite god, is more powerful than Dagon, so they yeah, they're like superstitious like that. So that this is an ancient Near Eastern thing. So Naaman goes, can I like, uh, is it okay if I take two bags of dirt <laughs> from this territory, and I go back? And oh, by the way, when I go back, um, I'll have to help, I'll still, it's my duty, even though now I'm a worshipper of Yahweh, I'll still have to help the king kneel in that pagan temple. So will, will, will Yahweh judge me? Elisha goes, Elisha says, go in peace. No. Don't worry about it. Yes, you can take the dirt as well. You'll be fine. Here's the implication. Naaman's Sola Scriptura was dirt <laughs> from that area. He had no Ten Commandments to work from, no Old Testament, no Bible, no nothing. It is literally something happened. He has like an association now with this deity Yahweh. And because of the ancient Egyptian tradition of like where there's a marrying of a piece of real estate with respect to the with the deity of that of that region, it's like it's like how we take you know like right now I have say this is from the Greek Orthodox Church, by the way, so like this, even though it's nothing but just wood carved, and then there's like drawings on it to sh- show Jesus, but the point is symbolically now this becomes something i'm i'm it's a representation of something, so like Naaman's dirt was all he needed. To remind them of who the true God is. So when Jesus brings up that story, it's a it's a it's a, it's typical of Jesus. He's always like this. He's he's basically trolling everyone. He's like, well, in, in a good righteous form of trolling. Um, hey, you know when I just said that the scriptures are fulfilled, and you don't even recognize the appearance of the Messiah. Because the scriptures show the appearance of the Messiah and how you should expect to see him and blah, 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 blah. Naaman, who had no Bible, was closer to God than you, who have a Bible right in front of your face. Ooh, how dare you, Jesus. And they kicked him out. But that's so true. You have, like... So-called sola scriptura affirming Christians. I mean, I'm not judging. I'm not like a holier-than-thou sort of attitude, or like you know, the no true Scotsman I'm not trying to do any of that stuff. But take Jesus's implication seriously. Like, you may hold on to something like sola scriptura, but Naaman's form of sola scriptura is such that there's a there's a value and a reverence. Um, you know in this case the dirt that that's all he required as far as his walk with Christ, you know God the true God is and so um and so again you know just to sort of bridge that over like again that's again how I view soul scripture as well it's like I do value I do I I do consider consider the bible as like you know what what you know, like the living word, like right? even, even, even like translations, even have that phrase, like you know, the new living translation. Like it's, like I, I do believe there's something. It's like alive, right? So there is, a, there is a sanctity or sacredness to it, even if you were to boil it down to, to just the sixty-six books. But at the same time, that doesn't mean, uh which is what now a lot of Protestants do. It doesn't mean that I throw the baby with the bathwater with respect to looking at the that a tradition who guess what were doing exactly what you do which is go back to the text and and you know analyze and digest and maybe write a homily on it or like that is the promise jesus promised from the great commission moving forward that if if you're going to make disciples after me and you know when he says like two or three gathered, you know I'm in the midst, and like this notion of like the gifts of the church starts to grow. Um, yeah, it is an expectation that what then happens to be like, like, like an icing on the cake, so to speak, or, or like some sort of reminder of why this even exists to begin with, which is the church Christians all the hymns, all the commentaries, all the creeds for the next 2,000 years is because of this thing we call the Bible and that that, that tradition that first started, right? You know, from the 12 and... So, yeah, like my form of soul scripture is, is this <laughs> is this ironic... Well, even though I define it as a nuance, but, but when I define it this way, when I show it this way, Notice it notice it, it it should not even be called a nuance. it should be called like a well duh that's that's how it should be seen right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'm having to say nuance because of the fundamentalist the, yeah. the fundamentalist perspective is has been going on for too long, right, and I have to just i have to like like nuance that um so yeah,
0: um yeah, yeah I hope that helps like that yeah, 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 definitely. Uh and several points on that i got several points so first of all mm-hmm. go for it uh you can't call out fallacies on my show because i'm known as the fallacy guy so i have to say <laughs> no i appreciate that that's great i can't have a show go by without a fallacy um uh, amongst you know a, a lot of the, the friends that i talk to regularly i, I you know i was really fascinated with fallacies. I was more fascinated with uh, how many we commit on a daily basis and kind of like a joke, you know, as we're uh, talking all the time, I'd be like, wait a minute, that's a fallacy. And I named a fallacy and why it's a fallacy. Um, Mm -hmm. So, but anyway, that that was pretty cool. Uh, Mm -hmm. The second one is, I think both of us can agree Jesus was like super gangster. I mean, Jesus Mm -hmm. was, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think people, uh, no Titan, that's not a fallacy 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 is when you dismiss the truth of something because a fallacy was used anyway. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Titan knows, uh, uh, yeah, Jesus. I mean, come, when we look at, um, things like, you know, get thee behind me, Satan, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, uh, how long must I be with you? And, uh, was it Jesus that called him? Yeah. A brood of vipers. Uh, I mean, Mm -hmm, he mm -hmm. he literally was cussing them, you know, Mm -hmm. he used some of the strongest language that was available, but at the same time, he also called them out, you know, um, Mm -hmm. you know, about uh, their religiosity and and piousness and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, which is one things I love about it. Now, the last point is, when you mention uh Nebuchadnezzar, and, and I'm sorry, this isn't totally with the point you were saying. No, 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 no go for it. But yeah. I think the f- mm. four greatest names, other than the status of Jesus, the four greatest names, just names in Scripture mm. is Nebuchadnezzar, mm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's just mm. <laughs> one mm. of those, you don't forget mm. the story, you don't forget the names, you don't forget the... Mm. Um, you know, cause it, it just, uh, great names, fantastic names, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, no, man, that's, um, definitely that, that, that made, I would actually, I would actually agree with you. I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, the way that you, you know, you explain, um, the, uh, I would say also that I, I do believe, you know, that it's, it, it's, it's kind of like a living, breathing, um, Maybe source, you know, because it's not a document; it's books, letters, and Mm -hmm. all these things. But, um, and I think the preservation is a testament (laughs) to, you know, Mm -hmm. look Mm -hmm. at the, you know, I mean, what other compilation, um, you know, in its simplest form of canon, you know, was it sixty-six books, forty-four authors? I think it is, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um. And then we have so many. Go,
1: but that's if you go with the the, the baseline, like
0: yeah, like mm. yeah, 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 like the Ethiopian Church. That's part of Enoch, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, you know. Yeah. And then you have the Apocrypha mm-hmm. with the Catholics, and but I think mm-hmm. it's all valuable. Uh, I and I think that's mm-hmm. that's an issue that a lot. And that's of... That's the nuance
1: body. I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Like the hi, like the Heiser of this world will say, like Heiser doesn't see Enoch as inspired, right? Right, but oh boy, is it is it required reading if you want to understand yeah. what Jude is getting at and what Second Peter is getting at, and yeah,
0: or yeah. even uh, one of the quotes uh, was it one or two quotes from Jesus? Uh, or
1: basically the, the whole Son of Man stuff in in Mark. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that is like that's just that phrase alone. Like,
0: well, that's the yeah. problem with a lot of a lot of um Protestants. You know, they so much focus on the canon, which is not a problem. But they dismiss all of the great resources that we have outside of it. The book of Enoch, the Apocrypha is great for history. Mm -hmm. You know, the intertestamental uh, period, the the Maccabean revolt, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the book of Enoch for understanding, you know, a lot of the uh, Jewish thought, uh, at least Mm -hmm. what they thought was that second temple Judaism, mm-hmm. what the original, you know, thought of Genesis and, and things like that are, it just, it paints such a, in the patristics, like you were talking about. I have a, um, I have a book here of the, uh, the earliest church fathers, um, you know, uh, Clement, uh, Ignatius, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Polycarp. Polycarp. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And And like you were talking about, you know, people don't realize I actually, while I was taking notes on the I'm ADHD, so I end up writing half Mm -hmm. the book that I'm reading just to keep Mm -hmm. the notes on it. But Mm -hmm. I went through every one of them and wrote down the scriptures that were being quoted. Mm
1: -hmm. And it is
0: simply amazing at the time without any canon, Mm
1: -hmm. although
0: they kept these letters and books as, you know, kind of an authority. They considered it up there with uh, Hebrew mm. scripture, or at least similar to you know the status. It is amazing how much is quoted. So when people attack the canonicity, oh, it's just a Catholic Church and and um, uh, who was it? Uh, what's his name at uh, Rome? Uh, that invented Christianity. Um, Const- uh, Constantine. Constantine, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just put together by Constantine. all those myths <laughs> in three twenty five A.D.
1: Only yeah, it's then
0: like, all this, like... <laughs> yeah, it, it's like go and look at these early. You know this. Mm. You have this succession. We have like an. What about the, what about theme.
1: the? Are you familiar with the Didache?
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. The
1: Didache is even before the Apostolic. Right. Like the Didache is like within the within the 50s AD. Literally, it's like oh even before Polycarp and Ignatius and so on, which is right. like late first century. This is like, like, you can't get any more closer. Like, the Didache is literally parallel to the New Testament. Let's just put it that way, you know. Absolutely. Um, it was very like, like, when when the when the New Testament was being written and, like, yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. So, I mean, we... And that's mm. what a lot of people don't, you know, uh, on the skeptical side is. They seem to have this picture that there was this guy, Jesus, did miraculous things. They said he resurrected. And then there's this huge gap in time. And then all of a sudden, people start writing about him. And it's like...
1: And then... No. And then not just writing but like the most magnificent beautiful significant western changing paradigm shifting theological
0: it's myth, <laughs> <laughs> it's myth like, and legend
1: <laughs> terms like hypostasis and blah 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 my. like oh yeah no 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 that uh, you know Jesus never existed and this whole thing is this one big conspiracy theory by Constantine because he was born
0: oh like, my it wasn't it, <laughs> that 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 shows you know and, and and to be fair, I know you would agree. I just want to throw this out there. To be fair, we have just mm-hmm. as many, if not more, ignorant Christians that say, you know, dumb things like that. But yeah, yeah, that's I point to them. I mean, we can go to just the Catholic Church alone. Who you know, of course, you know, Orthodox Catholic. They are you know the the one true uh, Apostolic Church of, of God. Mm-hmm. There literally is an, an a listed unbroken chain of bishops. All the way back to the apostles, we mm-hmm. have, we. I mean, it's it's not just contemporary letters. R- directly after Polycarp, um, you know, uh, who fought? Was it apostle? Was it Peter or John? Who was Polycarp? The uh, uh John. It? John, yeah, should be after well, John, yeah, yeah, and then the Church mm-hmm. of Ethiopia, who who claims to be founded on, uh, or founded by the apostle John, um, mm-hmm. one of the oldest churches you know, in existence. And so it's not like there was this big giant gap. It's like there was mm-hmm. nonstop writing and spreading and writing and spreading, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I think that's a, a lot of people. And think, then, you
1: know. and then just Go quickly, ahead. like, like, so a, a, a current present day living giant in New Testament critical criticism, uh, New Testament textual criticism is, uh, um, Dan Wallace, um, the center of new testament manuscripts where he photographs or like constantly they're digging up new manuscripts like i think they've reached like 6000 now before they used to be the famous wow. 5000 i was going to so say it was like
0: 5000 uh sections 700 or mark, something like, and but pieces, now they've
1: yeah. reached the 6000 mark and and the beautiful thing about that is as dan wallace um will argue um you know, you have magis- what's called magiscules and then minuscule. Magiscules is like the text written in capped letters. And it's just, there's no chapter divisions, no verses. It's just text. Uh, minuscules is the lowercase. Then you have the lectionaries, you know. And that it just accumulates, right? So, like... I I recommend you get this book. This is a, this. I think this will perk perk up your ears a little bit. Um, it's called "The Erotic Life of Manuscripts."
0: That sounds provocative.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. And, and the like irony before? is the it, it, it it's it's actually based on a it's it was published twenty sixteen, but it's based on a twenty fourteen dissertation. So it's Oxford publication. So it's a thoroughly scholarly work. The Erotic Life of of Manuscripts. By a New Testament scholar, well, uh, an evolutionary biologist turned New Testament scholar, a female scholar, um, guess who the doctoral advisor was of the dissertation? How ironic. It was Bart Ehrman himself.
0: Oh, no, not Bart. You know, I, yeah. I, I was actually thinking Bart a minute ago when you had said something. But, yeah. uh, I was, was going to leave. And he actually, it, it,
1: and it, and this book. Well, this book defends, you know, a a conservative perspective of the New Testament tradition using evolutionary phylogenetics as an analogy. Wow. So, just like how in evolutionary theory you have, say, Luca, the last universal common ancestor, (sighs) say, 4.1 billion years ago, and then you, you know, the so-called tree of life, right?
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: For the next three and a half billion years, it, there's this divergence to the most. Well, I think it's like 8.7 million species to ever have arisen.
0: Oh, oh, okay. Um, I was, sorry, I was thinking like the Sephiroth when you said the Tree of Life. The, <laughs> I, I, my mind totally went up. No, go but, ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> but basically,
1: like instead of like a linear, you know, yeah, to use like a younger sort of way of thinking, like God just the humans here and then the monkeys here and the dogs here. No, no, no. But but if you have a, a tree of divergence of mutation where new forms emerge, right? In this branch. Okay, her hypothesis was... It's, it, it was just a thought experiment. What if we went literally to Jesus during his Great Commission speech? and then turned around and told him, in hindsight of 2,000 years, but sort of like a tongue-in-cheek hindsight. We are a Middle Eastern Semitic people that's speaking Aramaic, Hebrew, obviously a little bit of Greek, maybe some Latin. And you expect this message to go East and West and North and South? Like, in other words, the Far East is, say, China. I'll just throw this throw this in quickly as well, like the word logos in John one one. When missionaries went to China to try and like polemically explain to them the concept of the logos, the closest Chinese word that they could use was the word Tao.
0: Oh, yeah, the whole wow, Taoism. Mm.
1: Right, because you know wow. the concept of the, ta- the Tao, the Tao, the Dao. Wow, is is you know the way, or like that? Yeah. that, that it's the main god, right? But at the same time, you can't define it. It's something you, you just can't define or visualize. Right, it's right. something
0: other. Guess what? what? Occurs, you know, yeah.
1: Go, Go to the Chinese translation of John one one. It says, "In the beginning was the Tao, and oh. the Tao was with God." And the Tao, beca- and and here's this. This is how it revolutionizes it. What they perceive of as being totally other, the missionaries are saying, "Hey, something here's something you didn't, you you wouldn't have expected." Yes, we agree. That, you know, we we are etymologically connecting Tao with this thing known as logos. But just let, let's just go along with it. Guess what? The Tao becomes flesh. John one fourteen. Mm. And it's it's you know for it, and that that is the bridge. It's like an Acts seventeen moment, right? That's the bridge for that Chinese person to go. Oh, I didn't ex- I didn't see that coming. Like from all the theological baggage we already have in our tradition, this is something pretty revolutionary. So this that's the erotic life perspective is. Notice that's a mutation. Yeah. That's... Notice you have a text. That has logos, but it's sort of mutating, obviously for good reasons, to bridge the theology, even if the words change. So, if we look at this from a textual critical point of view, now because we have six thousand plus manuscripts, and hence we see the variet, you know, the variants, as well Wallace will point out. Now Bart Ehrman, someone like him, <laughs> he's a he's a gr- he's a great scholar, but. You see this online with the atheists. Oh, there's so many variants and see oh. the variants, you can't go back to the original. Now, the erotic People life that book, away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the erotic life hook is trying to say, look, guess what? There's a lot of variants in evolution genetically. Like you and I are a massive variant compared to the eukaryotes three billion years ago. Um does this mean we can't go back to the original life forms? No, because there's this thing known as the tree of life where you can trace it back. You expect a mutation to occur. So the very fact that you have the growth of Christianity to the vast regions as promised by Jesus, and the very fact that you're going to encounter cultures with different languages, different customs, and the very fact that the copying process is not perfect, that is deliberately by God's wisdom and design so that no one can monopolize on the truth the very fact that you have of variations and variants and, you know, is part of God's, uh like the gospel message can be, can can be like reused, formed, mutated in all the various flavors to accommodate all the nation groups and the thinking and so on and yet still have the same theology. You know, Trinity, Didi, you know, like faith, by faith alone, like, mm-hmm. um, that that is a testament to. Um, um, again, like again, coming back to that sola scriptura thing, it's like, it's it's not that we're worshiping the scripture. It's it's God in His providential care, and the message is surviving.
0: Um, yeah, that's man. That is that is fantastic. Just side note: I I prefer mm-hmm. uh, uh, prokaryotes, but um the no uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah the uh yeah I, prokaryotes then became eukaryotes yeah, yeah there you go yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I i'm yeah. T- just a, a little biology joke um mm-hmm. so yeah <laughs> dude i i literally just kind of had like an aha moment because i you know i did a uh, so after I went through my deconstruction, I got into uh kind of comparative religion, ended up in philosophy of religion, and not a whole lot of the comparative religion, then got back into comparative mm-hmm. religion. So, you know, I went through all the majors, you know, Hinduism, uh, Buddhism, Taoism, uh, you know, uh, uh, Islam, and, and uh, all the Abrahamic religions, and uh, Zoroastrianism, and all these mm-hmm. different things. And um, I really didn't get into Taoism until, um, I'm going to throw a bone to my wife out there. I don't do that many much. Uh, but (laughs) she, so, uh, when she started her, uh, she went back to school to be an educator. Um, and, uh, she took a, you know, um, introduction to philosophy course and, um, they had to, you know, really get uh, into uh, Taoism itself and Mm -hmm. after kind of really getting into it and and under, you know, the, and I have a couple of atheist friends that are Buddhist philosophical, you know, kind of Buddhist and um, really into the Taoism. And I've never really thought to make that connection between the logos and Mm -hmm. the way, but really that's, I mean, it, it is so kind of like, um, Paul, you know, would go and use the false gods to, to, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. teach. That's,
1: and, like I said, the Acts 17 moment. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, that is phenomenal when you really think about it, because especially if you go into like, uh, you know, the, the Eastern Orthodox doctrine of, you know, the Logi, um, the Logos, the, uh, it just, I really kind of had like an aha moment. It's like, Wait. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. This can work. I thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We can make this work. Mm
1: -hmm. Um. So like notice. Like like. Also notice. You know. Okay. Another Heiser moment. (laughs) Well, people like Heiser where they say things like, you know, in the Old Testament where God Yahweh is described as the Cloud Rider. And now, with the, with the discoveries of Ugarit and the you know the form that that showcased Baal and El and all these entities as the cloud riders, and so oh now we understand that the Old Testament prophets were polemically saying Yahweh is the true cloud rider, not Baal. Now the li- the so called liberal critical scholars will say, ah, but who which came first, uh, the for the title. Like, the title was attributed to who first? Baal, not Yahweh. So see, only afterwards did the, did the, did the, uh, the Jewish prophets, uh, you know, they basically plagiarized the title for themselves and and, and applied it to Yahweh for, for their own biased reasons. Now, that argument doesn't really work when you look at it theologically, like kind of like what we just did with this Tao situation. Notice the concept of the Tao is pretty ancient. You know, it's not, it's not, and, and, and no one's plagiarizing anyone. It's, it's just this, it just happen, happens to be an etymological bridge, right? But I find the wisdom of God in this quite beautiful in the sense that ontologically, it would make no sense for God to introduce himself as, say, the Cloud Rider. Because why should he? I mean, when he introduces himself in the burning bush, he's like, I am that I am. You can't, this, 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 you know, you just can't really define who I am, but I am, right? Right. So I will be what I had, will be. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, since you already have these depictions of these other gods the way they're depicted, it makes sense all the more if you're going to bridge you know, these titles with respect to God and the other gods. It makes sense all the more to showcase, look, so that you understand who we are actually talking about, you came up with this, um, you know, this perspective of Baal being the cloud rider. Yeah. But but Yahweh is the cloud rider 2.0 and more you see that that's the implication um it's therefore again it comes back to this uh this notion that uh god and jesus they they transcend so who they are they they are like we're not just stuck in words on a piece of paper or on a page like you and i as christians we're not just stuck in some like weird like imaginative, you know say say the way the Greek flows in, in John one one, like that's all we care about because see, that's all we're thinking of is exactly the way it's spelt and read and pronounced and, and then we're just stuck in that no, it's again this notion of living word, it's like like that's just the okay, to use like, I don't know like Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars like remember when Luke finally starts to see the remote in episode 4 and mm-hmm. then Luke is like, you know, I started to, you know, I, you know, when I, when, when you, when you encouraged me to, to tap in a little bit more, I started to then finally see it. Obi Wan very wisely goes, Ah, you've now taken your first step into a larger world. It's like that's that's the implication that the biblical text is is just like the moment you start reading and dissecting, and okay, at the surface level, it's just text on the page, and yeah, then you can start learning about the theology. No, no, no. Now start to dig, like, start to step into a, a world, like, you step into a larger world. Like, try and do that now. And now you're working out the theology beyond the text. Guess Now, guess where that lands us? Back in the way tradition always was. Church tradition was the text as being the foundation. And then theology worked out, like, in whether it's philosophy, music, commentaries, prayer, you know. Um so yeah, um There's so much yes. to share, like like. There's so I, many other topics I know. we can talk about, like the science. <laughs> <I know. laughs> there's also
0: the, the watcher stuff. Like, <laughs> I've got, I literally, uh, you yeah. know, being ADHD, I've got like five thousand things just pinging off in my head, and I'm like, so sure. maybe sure. we have to share. We have to have another show on it or something. But yeah. uh, I did want to mention, um, you know, Bart Ehrman gets a bad rap, you know, uh, mm-hmm. with atheists because he says things that a lot of atheists don't like uh, and with Christians because he says a lot of things that Christians don't like. But other than his aversion to, you know, miracles and miracle claims and resurrection and something like that, Bart Ehrman does really good work. I like. Oh yeah, I know he does good work. Yeah. Yeah. We, but, but one thing we have to remember though, And this is one thing that I remind, you know, Christians of regularly or, you know, atheists that want to talk about, you know, historical things. I'm like, wait a minute. Er Erman's specialty is textual criticism, not history. Hmm. Now, it doesn't Hmm. mean he can't objectively evaluate history and come at it from an academic level. But if I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, invoke a name on history, it's not going to be. Bart Ehrman, per se, because while I'm sure with textual criticism, he had a ton of history to study, you know, biblical history and things like that. And I don't necessarily disagree with uh, a lot that he says, Uh, but Mm -hmm. we have to put it into perspective. If we're going to cite experts on something, we need to cite the experts in the field. And like Mm -hmm. you were saying, you know, uh, earlier about, you know, uh, the manuscripts and what we have and, and what they said and what we think they said, I mean, he's been quoted many a times ad nauseum. I, I think he said, "Well, it's over ninety something percent of the original, you know, uh, messages, and, and you know that we have preserved through all of the manuscripts." Uh, now, somebody can disagree with what those manuscripts mean, but we have, you know, pretty much the uh, full, unadulterated version of what was being said, you know, mm. at that time. Um, and so I would, that's my thing is I, I hate when people just, just really just dismiss him outright. Cause it's, it's, it's Bart Ehrman, you know, mm, uh, mm, but, uh, yeah, he does good scholarly work and on no, the yeah. go ahead. I'm mm. sorry. No, no, no. Um,
1: uh, I was just, I was just going to quickly say, if you're careful, and this is just a encouragement for those who I hesitant to get like if you're a Christian and you're like, oh no, but bottom and attacks of Christian faith. It's like, yeah, I get it. But don't be afraid to read what he has to say. Um yeah. you do see and here's my point, you do see an evolution in his works. I've I've noticed like when he wrote the book uh how Jesus became God um Which then the counter to that book by Craig Evans and other very good New Testament scholars, they, they, their reply to Bart Ehrman's book was "How God Became Jesus." Like they 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 flipped the title, but Ehrman, for example, gets into the whole like Daniel seven, one Enoch, the Son of Man stuff. You know this this notion of the two powers in heaven, like really fascinating, you know, Second Temple versions of the Trinity, all that stuff. But when I read that, when I read Ehrman, like when the book was published and the way he dissects those arguments and show, and, and, and obviously the, his conclusions land differently to the way I would, or you would, like, or even a Heiser would, would conclude. In other words, he's, he's basically saying the the formulation of the Trinity is very late. Yeah. and that there's no mention of the deity of Jesus in the in the new you know like you know that typical atheist charge like like a Unitarian sort of theology and yeah but what I'm saying is sometimes I have to wonder if he's wondered whether to like trash most of his works because as he keeps releasing new books he's having to like literally go back against what he's said in prior books I kid you not like even yeah, in even in lectures, like recently, like not even like a year or two ago, which is, I think, at least like five years since his publication of How Jesus Became God, during a QA session, he was actually asked again about Mark 14, you know, when the high priest tears his robe. And, and I kid you not, and Ehrman actually admits, you know what? I finally come to admit that this passage is a very high form of Christology. It's It's not. Like it's like, okay, Erman, um, then you need to go and make a second revision- you know second edition of your of your book, right and then, like one of his latest books is uh um I forget the title, but it's something to do with like how Christianity became this grand religion, yeah, and it happens to be when he actually went like the preface of the book starts with him saying, uh it's because I went to uh Mars Hill. I I stood there and and I I wanted to like rethink and this is late in his life as well. Don't forget he's writing these books. Yeah. So it's like I wanted to rethink Acts 17 and what was going through Paul's mind and and then he apparently he again this is his words in the in the book. He's like I had like this epiphany moment. Like my gosh, everything we know and take for granted for the last two thousand years as a culture, like. Everything you know the Renaissance and the arts and the, you know everything that that as, as Western culture we take for granted stems from this moment between Paul and the philosophers and um, yeah, and it's just amazing how he he seems to slip into finding Christianity and the theology and the history of it very beautiful, and so he does this like care. He has for it, and then suddenly, when he's being interviewed by atheists online, that he goes into like a oh, right. like, yeah. oh, it's Atheistic. all, it's all, yeah. it's all, you know, it uh, n- not of importance, blah, blah blah, and this is what it is, and I don't know, and like like rap, like like radical skepticism, and
0: you just you know, it's like that. Sky and bottom and... And... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 like skydaddies and spaghetti monsters, and yeah. uh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, yeah. so Rob, man, usually I only do like an hour, and we're at the two hours and 10 minutes into it, mm-hmm. and I could go on and on, but do I yeah, hey, I'm if you're game, I'm game for it. Um, I'm game for
1: 20 minutes if you want to round it out,
0: like okay, yeah, rock on. Uh, there is okay. something, okay, uh, mm-hmm. I'm glad you said that because uh, I was going to, um, yeah, sorry if I was speaking
1: there. too much as well. Like,
0: no, no, no. You're the guest, yeah. man. As a matter of fact, I okay. get messages that tell me to stop talking so much and let my guests talk. So, <laughs> okay. uh, but I just love conversation, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So speaking of Heiser, um, yes, one. Let's one thing. This. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, well, I'm actually kind of new to Heiser, um, mm-hmm. and I would. So in a future show, I would like to have you come back. And mm-hmm. both of us talk from different um, perspectives or or, or uh, areas of study and, and approaches on specific Jewish meanings behind New Testament things because mm-hmm. something you said earlier really it, it kind of piqued my interest or or wanted me you know to talk about it. like When you talked about, um, and this is just a teaser, I'm not going to go too far into it. Um, Mm -hmm. When you talked about Jesus saying, you know, uh, we're two or more gathered, you know, I am there with Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And typically, you know, uh, we have viewed that as like, uh, we're two or more gathered. There's, you know, you're having church, you know, you're talking about God. Mm -hmm. But if we look at the actual Jewish understanding is like you and I were talking about the Judaism is built on debate. So they would have in the temple, they would have one student that would present a passage or story, and then they had two students that would debate every possible meaning of it. So -hmm. Jesus was actually more than likely making a play on the understanding that, hey, we're two or more gathered studying and debating the word, the Logos Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. me i am there with them he is there Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. a word and so when you when i'd heard the you know the explanation for that i was like wow that makes so much more sense he's saying hey he is the word and when you're debating it he's right there with you because you're debating Mm -hmm. the word you know Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. don't say anything as a teaser that's going to be on a future show because i want to get your thoughts on the uh couple things with Heiser. One, I was actually taken back um, by his. Can, it can I, a, I? I can't.
1: Yeah, go I go can't on. help. But can I just say one ahead, little yeah, tiny ahead. little? <laughs> it's tried, to do with pilot. <laughs> it's to do with pilot when he motions. What is truth? Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you familiar with what's known as an anagrammatic uh, phraseology in Latin? So,
0: um, I believe so. You're going no, to have to refresh. It's us. known
1: as. It's known as like an... It basically, it's, you rearrange letters in Latin to read out another... Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. If it reads... So like, so when yeah. Pilate motions, what is truth, Jerome deliberately in the Latin Vulgate wrote it in such a way that... This is now in tradition, by the way. Um, the phrase in Latin can be rearranged to, to read. So when he says, what is truth, the phrase can be re-read as, the man who is here... So, wow. so it's like, but notice that 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 famous question, what is truth, only occurs in John's gospel. So, that's exactly right about the whole in the midst scenario, because if you're debating the issue, you're debating the man who is here with respect to this is now the living word, the living logos, right? Like, yeah, I I, I, wow, I can say more, is, but I'll just I'll just leave it at that.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll leave that as a teaser. Yeah. for and we'll talk about we'll talk about that. Yeah. We'll talk about uh, typology, gamatria, yeah. all these yeah. great things that a lot of yeah. uh, lay people don't understand. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. speaking of gamatria, that's a fantastic segue into um, what I was. You know, I was kind of taken aback when I listened to uh, Heiser's mm-hmm. uh, position yeah. on. In Revelation, you know, the beast, the uh, 666 mm-hmm. or 616, mm-hmm. depending on which manuscript you're looking at. I would have mm-hmm. thought that he would have taken a pretty strong position on that, but he doesn't. He, he, he kind of, and that's what I like about Heiser is things he is very confident about he'll take a strong position on things hmm. that there's you know a good possibility it could mean something else you know like a hmm. a futurist idea or you know uh, whether it's an idealism kind of thing in in regards to uh for those that don't understand the different perspectives on revelation idealism's not mm-hmm. like idealism um mm-hmm. these so i was really uh, I, I it was more admiration for him because he was like, because he is so smart and, you know, I'm not saying he's like the super best guy out there, I mean, he's close but, uh, <laughs> you know taking that kind of a humble approach well, I'm not going to take a, a, a solid stand on you know, that, what are your thoughts on, on, on that? Um, I mean
1: I'll, I'll just quickly give my brief thoughts about Heiser first like as a person and then maybe Maybe you'll have to remind me or flesh out more the the issue with six six six, but okay. I mean, I I already have. Maybe I can quickly also share my thoughts on that six six six, and and then we can go from there. But but basically, Heise as a person, my my journey started in 2010, and it concluded in 2014. I mean, 2015 was when I became a Christian, and then since 2015 onwards, I've I've just been growing even more. Believe it or not, I came across Heiser actually in like 2013 or 2014, so three or four wow. years into my journey, usually, and my journey was just me just in the library, like, obviously the, the academic library is divided between the science and the humanities and so on, and, and I'm just, I'm not, here's the thing, I, I was blessed, thank goodness, I didn't have a so-called like Christian bookstore. You know, nearby. It's not, It's where, where. Believe it or not, and I, I, I make no apology in saying this, but, but you, you know, you have these sensationalist books like Joel Osteen's Your oh. Best Day Now, and you know, like all the, you know, all that typical like the Ray comfort apologetics. Yes, and, yes, yes. Oh my god. Um, yes. <laughs> I was in a library where it's just dry academic. You know, Brill publications and Springer Publications, like all like. Ranging from the sciences all the way to the biblical stuff. And (laughs) the interesting interesting thing is, is all those academic texts I'm reading about the Bible are just full-blown, critical, liberal, most of them not even Christian. They're just analyzing the text as scholars. So... And then you know, I would juxtapose their teachings with my own personal readings of the text, and 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 I, it's just ironic. It's just I'm 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 having a a understanding and a gathering of what the text is getting at, but I can't help but being being drawn drawn to it more and more. You know, that's the, so. In a nutshell, that's basically my testimony. So, so how I came across Heiser. Well, my opa who passed away in 2010, and and is the reason why I um from his funeral onwards, is the reason why I ventured into this. He had a a vast library of just weird books. One of which, which now I know for a fact is just absolutely false, but one of which was Zachary Zitchin's, you know, Nibiru, and, you know, the. I don't know if you're familiar with Zachary Zitchin, the ancient astronaut theory, um that uh the Sumerians and the Akkadians and so on they like for example the Anunnaki are actually aliens that that interbred that DNA with monkeys and then the hybrid is you and me and you like know a it's the sci- whole ancient alien stuff.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It's you, you know the you know the ancient alien memes? Like yeah. I can't say if it was aliens but it's aliens. You know that guy with a hand like like basically that stuff, right? Um That all came from a guy named Zachary Zitchin. In back in the seventies and eighties, so for example, Jupiter, uh, Nibiru is like Planet X, that's on a three thousand six hundred year orbit, and but when you look at the scholars, Nib- Nibiru is not some Planet X. It's it's Jupiter. <laughs> that's that's Nibiru. The Anunnaki are not aliens roaming around. They are underworld spirits. That's all they are. You know, the Nephilim are not those who came down in rocket ships literally he, he, he I kid you not he translates that like you know this because it comes from the verb to fall right, right. so it's like see but rocket ships like, like
0: landing yeah that's crazy yeah <laughs> um,
1: anyway so I wanted to know if he was wrong so what I did was on Google I was like is Zichen wrong <laughs> <laughs> guess guess the URL that the Google search brings up.
0: Oh, I'm
1: Zitchen is wrong.com
0: <laughs> Oh, they have a website for it.
1: Yeah, oh, just yeah. just just if you type if you type like if you type zitchen is wrong or is zitchen wrong, like you'll start, you'll see Google one of the first results is zitchen is wrong.com uh, So I'm like, man. Who the heck? Like, that's a pretty, like, just a blunt, like, URL just like that, right? You know, whole server dedicated to, you know, Zitchin is wrong. So I right. clicked on that, and it's Heiser. That's Heiser's website. It's like a website he's dedicated to debunking really? Zitchin. And he... So when I clicked on him, I started to notice he, um, you know, he went to all his like, like UFO original life conferences and you know like yeah. all the the like he you know if you go to his blog he has this thing known as UFO religions or paleo babel like he like he's a biblical scholar that has I, a de- like he seems to be fascinated with the with the so-called pop culture but in like all the mythical just total yeah, just I, bad
0: beliefs I like, noticed that when I yeah I, like when I eventually realized that he had a YouTube channel and subscribed to it, yeah, French French pop, right? Yeah, I was like, yeah, wait a minute, what's up with all this UFO stuff? And <laughs> yeah, 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 that makes yeah. a lot of sense. So he,
1: so he, I don't know, he just has a heart to to reach out to these people that are genuinely just being robbed. They're just being brainwashed and robbed into these false, right. you know, the whole zeitgeist way of thinking. And oh gosh, you know, yeah, mm. um, so. Then the next thing i I notice is that the way he talks, the way he jokes, the way he even reasons, the way he has this uh, this eye for if it means that you that your eye catches a certain say bibliographic footnote on a page right of 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 a scholarly yeah. monograph, right? like say you're like halfway through it and then I don't know, this particular footnote really stands out. And so Heiser is someone that 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 basically does this. He'll he'll land on, he land on that footnote. He'll go to that resource, exhaust that resource out, and then find any relevant footnotes in that resource. And it's like a rabbit rabbit hole, rabbit trail sort of thing. So yeah. I happen to be of the same, like, that's my method as well because that's just me. Yeah. So in other words, there's a lot of Heiser. I see a lot of myself in Heiser, in the, just the way he is as a person. Um, and so that's why I, I really like, I just became like an ardent reader of, of the way because I just know, as long as I'm not, because I, I know I could be making some mistakes and I I don't have the privilege, especially in my schooling, I didn't have the privilege of contacting or, or um you know, like like bouncing ideas off with 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 professors who were theologians, because you know my degree was more in the sciences, so at least here's someone I came across that was that was i could sort of relate proc- like like the text his writing was like a proxy to to psychologically be there like as if he was there in the room so and that's why i um. Yeah. And then when I became a Christian and I read his book Unseen Realm, you know, that, that to me really just basically it's 10 years worth of his scholarship. Like, well, a bit more than 10 years, but, but basically his dissertation truncated down into this thing known as Unseen Realm. And then his books that followed after that were, were just like, man, finally everything that I was reading, which obviously he was reading, But he's also speaking as a specialist because he's able to do things that even I can't do, which is, you know, the the languages and all that other stuff. He's finally put this in a popular like book form for the large Christian church to finally go, this is what you've been missing, you know, with respect to the ivory tower scholarship that Mm -hmm. just doesn't get distilled down to the pew. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is this is a why do you think it's why do you think it's got the reviews and the popularity that it's got um i genuinely believe it it's 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 a it's a it's a work that yeah that will go down in, in in church history like as one of the main works so now that being said um something like like that number in revelation um so since we have four minutes now, I'll quickly <laughs> summarize <laughs> and, then, and then you can you can give your, your thoughts. Um well first and foremost, since I'm a partial protest and since I hold that Revelation is is a is six it's published is written in sixty eight AD. So the very fact that you have the variant six one six with respect to six 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 absolutely actually is the reason why you date the book. 68 AD because it's talking about Nero. Both variants, the 616 and 666, both spell out specifically to Nero. It's just that if you go with the 666 reading, there's there's an added N, Neron Kaiser, um, and he, he went both ways, N- Neron or Nero. Nero is the 616 reading. Now, what is a little bit of a trivia question what is the very next verse? So now this that that, that what I just shared there was a was a non hyzer Greco-Roman biblical backgrounds, just a brief backgrounds context as to the like why John's even saying that. It's a polemic against Rome with respect to Nero being a so-called antichrist figure. All right. Now now, what about like a hyzer approach? Which is <laughs> that's just a way of saying what about like a little bit of a deeper approach? Uh, What's the next verse after verse 18? It's chapter 14, verse 1. What number is given in chapter 14, verse 1? It's the 144,000. Now, notice this. You have two numbers, juxta- like you have the number of the beast and the number of the lamb juxtaposed next to each other. Remember, there's no chapter divisions... And no verse divisions in the original text. So literally after verse 18 in that Greek manuscript, you'll be reading straight after that 14 verse 1. Now this is where it gets very interesting. When you go into Greco-Roman math, so Greco-Roman math is more conceptual and, and geometric than the Arabic numeral system that you're not used to. Uh... They would work in what you and I would know as you know Pythagorean triples and anything to do with like squaring a number and stuff like that. Okay, and also in the Greek, six 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 is not literally six six six. It's depending also on the manuscript. It, it, it's either like words or letters to mean six hundred sixty and six. Right. Same thing with one hundred forty four thousand. Now, why 144,000? Because John, and he himself explains it in chapter 7, that you have 12,000 per 12 tribes, right? And then you have in, in Revelation this notion of like a 1,000 means something that's complete, like the millennium. So notice you have 12 times 12 times 1,000 and there's your one hundred forty-four thousand, right? So twelve times twelve is twelve squared, times a thousand. Now, <laughs> this is where it gets really interesting. If now notice, okay, so John, what John's trying to say is, thousand represents like what is infinite, what is what is omni, what is. Basically, God, because one hundred, because it's not, you know, the Joel witnesses when they say one hundred forty-four thousand is like a literal number, they just don't get it. One hundred forty-four thousand is a mathematical cipher to say, I'm taking what was originally the twelve, the twelve tribes, with respect to the twelve apostles, squaring that right, twelve square, meaning now it's it's superseding that. You see, that's the mathematical polemic. It's superseding that, so that then. What is then joined to that? God himself represented by the number thousand. So 144,000 is where saying the number of the lamb is like something uncountable. That's what the number represents. It's an uncountable, grand, glorious thing with respect to the lamb. So when you come... Now, how do you get to 666? Okay. Instead of squaring 12, you halve it. So 12 squared is 144, but 12 divided by 2 is 6. And instead of multiplying 144 by 1,000, you debase 1,000 to finite forms, which would be 100, 10, and 1. So if it's 12 divided by 2, which is 6, and then you go 6 times 100, 6 times 10, 6 times 1, there's your 660 and 6. So now you have a juxtaposition between the number of the beast, which is a debased finite, you know, unholy, but it's like, who do you want to be associated with? Are you like Nero, who's a nobody, because see, I've half 12 and I haven't times it by a thousand, I'm timesing it by by what's less than a thousand, which is the next step down, which is a hundred, ten, and one versus the lamb, who is, is 12 squared times a thousand, right? You see, that's the Mathematical polemic. That's why John throws in that line. If if anyone here has wisdom to understand the number and right. um, so Heiser's approach is so, sort of like that, and then he'll go into the you know the And John's also utilizing Solomon's Sea because Solomon's Sea also has like six hundred and sixty six talents of gold and oh you know in its measurement and and then you have a juxtaposition, and then he'll go he'll be like oh and a 144,000 it's like that's a polemic with respect to the sons of god and the watchers and you know the whole genesis 6 scenario because see they're virgins they're not like the watchers who who um you know as jude says you know left their oiketerion left their heavenly dwelling and um yeah so it's all these ideas that someone like Heiser from the best of my memory, from what I remember on that question. Um, and also I've written on this as well. So, but yeah, that, that's, that's really what's going on in the text.
0: Yeah. And yeah. Th- that's so fascinating. That's, um, of course, you know, Rob, I mean the 144,000 or the um, Jehovah's witnesses, that's, you know, <laughs> they're, they're the ones. <laughs> no, I, uh, <laughs> it's uh yeah. I, yeah. There's, man, there's so many things I just I, I wanted to say on it. But mm-hmm. we have gone so far and so deep into so many different things that we could actually mm-hmm, do, like mm-hmm. a show on all of them. Um I will say one thing I did want to say, though,
1: mm-hmm. is you Perfect. were
0: talking about Revelation being written prior to uh the destruction temple, AD seventy. I actually am someone, and of course, I don't take a hard stance on this. I believe the entire New Testament was written before the de- mm-hmm. temple destruction. Same.
1: I, I do too. Yeah,
0: mm. I think that um, it is, uh, it is absurd to think that we would have all of these writings um, that, first of all, talk as if the temple is intact it's not talking in the past tense it's talking contemporarily mm-hmm. as if it's intact second of all literally the worst thing to happen to the jewish people at that time uh it is just without you know how could you possibly write anything about the jewish p- temple without writing about how horrible and terrible you know, the siege of Jerusalem was at 87. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, they literally locked them in and starved them to death. And, and, you know, exactly.
1: And the Christians wouldn't have had the time, the resources, the anything post 70 to even compile all these and have these discussions and make up all this. It's just, it's ridiculous. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And then on top of that, the last piece I'll throw, and of course, there's a lot more nuance to it, but the last piece I'll throw mm-hmm. on there, the fact that they didn't hammer home over and over Jesus's. Uh, prophecy of the temple being destroyed
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: when he come out and said of course you know you know i both know he's talking about the body and the temple he was you know in three days it'll be raised again the temple will be destroyed
1: mm-hmm, man mm-hmm.
0: if that was something at that time they could point to to say that hey man this guy is a prophet you know it would be that they would have been hammering it over and over and over again look he told you it's gonna happen uh mm-hmm. yeah and i think it, it You, as well as I know, you know, that even the dating of all the New Testament books are very flimsy. Um, You know, it relies on mark and priority. And, uh, which by the way, I
1: hold to, I I do hold to mark and priority. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, no, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I'm one of those. I don't, I I don't, you know, I don't have any fringe positions or something like that. I I Mm. would want to lean towards uh, tradition with, you know, my uh, Matthew, but Mm -hmm. given. You know, the scholar work that's been done and everything else. I think it's just Mm -hmm. a little more convincing that Mark and Priority is probably Mm -hmm. right. But all of that, you know, it all depends on the dating of Mark. And then everything kind of follows suit, you know, after that.
1: And Uh, are you familiar with James Crosley? He's an agnostic scholar. He dates Mark to 35 AD. Now I really did not know that like literally his book is called the date of mark's gospel like that's his wow, one of his wow, monographs
0: I man i got a whole list of stuff i got to look at <laughs> and
1: uh like i hold to the uh the crucifixion date to be the 3rd of april 33 ad purely because it matches beautifully with a lot of like astronomical events going on like like there was a blood moon that evening mm-hmm. there was a sandstorm that took place there was an earthquake recently discovered like in that same time frame and Seven weeks later, at Pentecost, Peter says, he quotes from Joel, and says in these, we are in the last days, quoted from Joel's prophecy in regards to the moon turning to blood and so on, is exactly what they would have remembered, what happened, you know, on the 3rd of April, 33 AD, for all, because astronomically, we can look and see, yes, the moon was blood red in that evening, and so, um, yeah, like, yeah, it's just it's just it's just amazing that like Mark's gospel. I think I I I don't I don't push I don't go for the 30th, because I don't need to. I could I could have yeah, Mark's yeah. gospel anywhere between fifty and sixty A.D. It still works out. But someone like J- James Crosley, he, with you know, uh, along with say someone like Maurice Casey, um, they put Mark like, so if if Jesus died thirty three A.D. <laughs> two, within two years, which then which then, uh, you know, then you have that famous uh, uh, James D. D. John on on um, uh, you know the pre Pauline creed in First Corinthians fifteen that comes right. within months of his death, burial, and resurrection. Like that creed, like the Messiah was buried, he died, but buried rose again. Yeah, so you're right. Um, when you when you just when you, when you have that as, like, a hypothetical, like the dating that early and that, and that as a hypothetical, and then you read the entire New Testament, keeping that in mind, a lot of things fall into place historically, theologically, psychologically, the way they used to think and write. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and then that's why I'm a partial prayerist. That's exactly... Now, I was
0: actually fixing to say the same you know, thing. That is... All the uh, so many of the prophecies line up exactly with the destruction of the temple. You know, the fleeing to the hills, and it's just
1: another, just another, just just another like second temple moment when Jesus says, "With a little faith, you'll move this mountain." Now today, it's become this like a like a proverb, you know, about courage and you know, no, the mountain is literally the temple so it's 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 a it's a subtle little statement on, on jesus lips with a little faith you'll be able to move this temple into the yeah. sea and hang on what actually happened metaphorically speaking yeah the temple was with you know with the romans and then he when he says another like within that same passage you know in mark 13 he'll say heaven and earth will pass away but my words will, will not pass away oh yeah what what, what you know that phrase, heaven and earth, that was associated with the temple. The temple is heaven and earth in, in a micro sense. So notice this, heaven and earth will pass away. And usually, we, you know, modern Christians will read that as speaking of like the thermodynamic entropy decay of the universe. You know, heaven and earth will pass away, but right. Jesus' words will not pass away. Right. No, no, no. Like that phrase occurs exactly in the context of the temple's destruction and jesus is giving that very like jewish because heaven and earth that phrase heaven and earth is used in josephus to describe the temple so it's like those readers at the time would have understood it point blank heaven and earth a away. are you serious yeah because guess what i just said that like not stone will be left upon another and um so so jesus is superseding the temple then he he becomes this you know this new covenant like my words will not pass away that is a that's an astonishing statement on jesus lips that's why they started accusing him you who right. you know who could tear down this temple like yeah so
0: well Oh, man okay we're All good All right we we'll will we will stop
1: there like yeah. I was going to say
0: we get <laughs> yeah. there's so many teasers yeah. man uh, uh, Rob I'm going to have to have yeah. you on quite a few times cuz there's a lot of things I sure. I I kind of want to you know hammer through and one of them is what you just mentioned uh from so I actually had a debate uh with a good friend of mine who is um a Torah observant Christian um mm-hmm. I don't like messianic Jew uh so <laughs> they're Torah observant and, I, and the debate was on whether Christians should be Torah observant. And mm-hmm. I actually uh, used basically, well, first of all, typology. Second of all, uh, Matthew 5, what you were you know, talking about, uh, heaven and earth shall not pass. Uh, every word is fulfilled. And uh, what a lot of people, and I'm just going to skirt right through this, and mm-hmm. nobody else can say anything because it's going to be a teaser for a future. theology <laughs> yeah. will let you respond okay. to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people don't understand, you know, first of all, of course, you're well aware of this, that, that the Gospels are in pericope, you know, kind of a clustering. Mm-hmm. And then Matthew 5 is what's called an inclusio. And mm-hmm. he starts with a bracketing of the law and the prophets prophesy, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. law and the prophets prophesy. And then he goes mm-hmm. into uh, his sermon and then he bracket it, bracket, bracket, it's uh, bracket mm-hmm. it again <laughs> with uh, mm-hmm. the law and the prophets prophesy. Well, the people mm-hmm. don't understand the structure, the, the the literary structure of Matthew and things like that. Uh, they totally missed the point. They're like, and what Jesus is saying is, you know, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, it's what he's saying oh, is. Oh,
1: man. You're like, this is like music to my ears when he quote verse 20, because it's like no one, no, I'm, it's, I felt, I feel like I'm the only one. Like, I'll, I'll let you finish, but I feel like I'm the only one. That brings up verse twenty as the key to seventeen to nineteen. Yeah. Also, he, in light of Philippians three with the imputed righteousness, like
0: yeah, right, he yeah. they they take it as, uh, you know, they take evangelicals take this, you know, different views on it, and it's like what he's saying is, if you think you're righteous by the law, it better exceed that of the Pharisees, or you shall not you Know enter the kingdom or things, and they don't mm-hmm. understand that This is like, uh, it's Jesus, like, yeah, it, it kind of you know, firing away at them. It's like you think they're following the law physically to the letter and things like that. And uh, but anyway, yeah, I could go on and on about that.
1: Uh, but the, the basically the point is, like, you know, the you know, the scribes and the Pharisees used a stylus, right, to count yes. every letter, mm-hmm. it's hyperbolic. Where Jesus is saying, notice, he says, "Heaven and earth will pass away." In oh, the same thing, because it's, it's 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 to, it's talking about the temple, right? So then he's saying, "Look, it's impossible to get into heaven, even if you kept a hundred percent of the law." Yes, yes. Paul yes, gets yes. that in Philippians yes. three. Yes. that's why he's like, as far as the law is concerned, I'm blameless. But hey, guess what? Actually, like a like a like a literally a God righteousness. No way. I need that imputed through the faithfulness of Jesus. That's why he gets it, right? You see, that's why the whole, like, I just don't understand. I mean, Hebrews 8, how does Hebrews 8 end? Like, you know, Paul quotes Jeremiah 31, and, you know, Jesus has provided a better covenant, better promises, blah, blah. He quotes Jeremiah 31, the prophecy about the the days are coming when the new covenant will come. Conclusion, what is now obsolete... You know, and what he's calling new, but what has now become obsolete is now vanished. It's like. So I-
0: Jeremiah's new covenant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't say yeah. hyperbole because I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, put into perspective. Jesus is literally an, uh, uh, an apocalyptic preacher. You know, Mm -hmm. he is talking about the kingdom that's coming, which doesn't mean what most evangelicals think it means. But, you know, the king, the Jewish meaning Mm -hmm. of it, you know, that the kingdom Mm -hmm. is here and amongst us. And, you know, that was the kingdom. And, of course, he spoke in hyperbole. I mean, come Mm -hmm. on. You look at Gethsemane and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, not Gethsemane, the Valley of Gehenna, the, you know, uh, Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Valley
0: of Hinnom. You know, Jesus was all about some parables and hyperbole and uh you know in your face mm. kind of you know how long must i be with you kind of thing mm. so um mm. uh, mm. yes i mm. know there's so much you want to say i'm not gonna let you say no it. no no i rude i, I rude can not. leave it there i can leave it there yeah, yeah. <laughs> rob man it has been fantastic bro i could do this it's been like, my pleasure for hours yeah absolutely man I mm-hmm. would love to have you on several times to tackle. maybe next time we'll we'll pick an actual topic and we'll mm-hmm. kind of sure. tackle that one um so if you will uh tell uh you know the audience where they can find you, I've got his uh website and YouTube link uh in the description mm-hmm. um anything you wanna plug coming up or anything like that
1: yeah just uh if you go to the community tab on my youtube um you'll see i i don't really spam post stuff i just post once every couple of months important stuff and you'll see links to uh i suppose you could say like so i've i've written commentaries on um uh for a local church group like we it was more like study group stuff like i started on ephesians then that migrated to revelation then mark, and now I'm writing on Daniel, and I've called it the Sentinel commentary on you know ephesians revelation mark uh those links are they're 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 technically they're linked to my google drive so and and i and I do have it uh where you it's free it's free it's not you don't have to pay but but you all you have to do is just request access just say look i i came across this on say your stream or something and and yeah, you'll see um the way I lay it out, it's 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 like a diary, like a like it literally, like like it's like an like I'm 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 an interested reader as I'm reading through every verse. I'm pulling in the latest scholarship and combining that with church tradition uh, statements by the the fathers to show the latest in our scholarship today. <laughs> and guess what? The church fathers was were still cutting edge. They were still Going, they're still going toe to toe with even our best thinkers today. So, um yeah, that <clears throat> it's it's that's what you'll see there in the community tab. Apart from all the other stuff that I've put on my channel, and yeah, everything we've discussed in the last two and a half hours is nothing but just yeah, it, it it's. I I I can boast in saying I've done I've I've read a lot done a lot of homework I'm you know I've been an invested reader and I've carefully thought about these ideas but at the same time, yeah, like it's like an Ecclesiastes moment you know the the more I know the more I don't know and and oh yes and every time I I learn something new I wouldn't be, like again I again I'm not claiming I know everything like I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow I learn something new and but every time every time I do the first thing I do is I praise God. Like, I give God Amen. the glory for that. And then, and then I, I, I share that after. So, um, yeah, that's basically it.
0: Ah, absolutely, yeah. And I, I'm right there with you. I, I There's a lot of things I feel confident about, but I always leave open the fact that I'm probably wrong because I have been so many times. Uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and I will say, um, if you guys get a link to uh, his uh, Google Drive, it is... I was actually kind of skimming Oh yeah, I gave,
1: I gave it to, didn't I? Yeah, I was, I, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I was skimming through the uh, uh commentary on Daniel because I love how dispensationalists love to kind of jump back and forth, you <laughs> know, with Daniel
1: the same by the way the same PDF is regenerated with so if, whenever I update the PDF, it's the same link so you don't
0: have to like oh okay cool it just it's yeah. that whole hundred plus pages mm-hmm. on the thing that's gonna get mm-hmm. me so <laughs> <laughs> no yeah uh rob man i am so thankful to uh, have you on in the conversation it was fantastic i'm gonna spend i'm gonna have to spend a lot of time chaptering this one up because we covered mm-hmm. so many different things but i would love mm-hmm. to have you back for sure to talk about different topics and stuff then so no worries brother thank you yeah And everybody, thank you so much for uh, tuning in for the chats, for, for, um, you know, Titan and Grumpy. It's good to see you again, man. I haven't seen you guys in a while. Everybody else that joined that's new, don't forget to like and subscribe. And also, all the major platforms Um, my podcast is on Apple, Spotify, all those different things. So if you like it, go download it, Uh, leave a a review or something like that to help me get uh, bigger and better like Rob. So Mm -hmm. y'all have a good evening. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Thank you so much, everybody.